Hey guys, this is Robert Breedlove from the What Is Money Show. And as you've learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to facilitate financial security for all. They accomplish this by bringing a high level of professionalization and sophistication to the Bitcoin marketplace. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. By using Nidig, you will gain access to an end-to-end institutional-grade platform, providing Bitcoin OTC transactions, Bitcoin collateralized borrowing, secure custody, asset management, derivatives, financing, market research, and more. And all of these services meet the highest regulatory, governance, and audit standards. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and is leading the way for ongoing institutional adoption in this nascent asset class. So please be sure to check out Nidig as a single source for all your Bitcoin needs. Hey guys, welcome back to the What Is Money show. I'm your host, Robert Breedlove, and I'm sitting down today with Mr. Sonny Ray. Sonny has quite an interesting story, uh, which we're going to dive into. Uh, We're going to cover some of the struggle with central banking in India, and we're going to talk about the mission of Bitcoin in India and how all these worlds sort of intersect. Sonny, welcome to the What Is Money show. Thank you for having me here, Robert. I'm looking forward to this. I've enjoyed uh, watching you on YouTube and learning from you on the internet. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you here. I think we're going to get into more of the personal side of how central banking impacts life for people. Um, so maybe we can just kind of throw you in the deep end here and just say, you know, what what is your story? Um, you know, feel free to go any direction you like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe as a starting point, instead of maybe just diving right into my story, since the main topic of, you know, our conversation will be India and Bitcoin, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll just start off by, you know, for the average person listening to this to to tell them why I think India and Bitcoin is relevant. Uh, So the narrative that you speak about, and I think many others now is, which is this, that Bitcoin is essentially digital gold, Uh, you know, India is is a country that loves gold. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you can right. say that, and uh, and and so and then in the first part of that word, like digital part of it, right? There are arguably more programmers uh, in India than than anywhere else in the world. And so when you think about this beautiful marriage, uh, arranged marriage of you know of of, Bitcoin, of gold and digital money coming together in Bitcoin. I feel that there's this uh, there's this capacity, at least within the country, to really appreciate where where maybe Satoshi was going with this. Uh, that's probably I'd say the biggest thing. The second the second thing I would say also is you know a lot of people refer to remittance as being another area where Bitcoin may play a big part. And again, India is you know one of the biggest and word remitters in the world. And so so I would say those are maybe two or three of kind of the top reasons uh, you know that I've I've really always been bullish about uh, the importance of like, you know, building companies in India uh, for that, you know, massive market. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to start it off there. So we can definitely get into my story. How far should I take it back though? <laughs> I mean, I would personally, if you're comfortable, I'd love to know from the beginning, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're a very engaging guy, very smart. Clearly, you've had a lot of experience on the front line. So I'd really love to know where you came from. Um, and that should hopefully help, you know, help us understand where you are today, I think, too. Cool. Cool. Okay. So, I mean, for me, it, it, I would say, you know, the story starts with my parents, right? They, they moved from a place called Calcutta, which is quite possibly one of the poorest places on earth. I think my dad literally uh, grew up in a hut. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, they, you know, you know, they moved to Canada before I was born and they always obviously valued hard work and growing up, we would visit India uh, every year. And that I think was a big part of my, it kind of shaped my worldview because here for like eight, 10 months of the year, I'd be living in in Canada, in this part of the world where things are a lot easier, if you will, Um, you know, just life in general, things we take for granted, like the fact that drains aren't open and, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, animals don't walk around the road uh, all the time and you're not literally having to duck you know, watch out for the cow coming at you type of deal, little things that, that, you know, that growing up was just like, wait, how is, how is this possible? Like we're, we're on the same planet, but there seems to be a huge disparity. Um, and I think that that was definitely something that, uh, you know, kind of helped shape me, uh, East Indian parents. So what else am I going to do? I, I couldn't handle biology. I, after the, the first heart pig heart dissection in grade 11, I was like, I'm out. And so I thought, okay, well, engineering would be the way it kind of fell into that. And I studied electrical engineering. Um, I, I, you know, after I studied engineering, the natural, so I, I actually moved from Alberta. I grew up in kind of the West part of Alberta where, you know, oil and gas was really the only thing that <laughs> you were destined to do. My, my, my dad spent 40 years in, in that space. And, and after my first few summer jobs there, I realized Robert that, that, that even though, you know, I have a ton of respect for people in that space and, and I don't bind to the whole, um, oil is bad for the world agenda. Uh, but I, I knew that it wasn't where I wanted to make my mark in the world. And so nearly 20 years ago, I moved to Toronto and really have been kind of on this quest, you know, to, to, I don't know, just be at the edge of innovation and what I can, I mean, Toronto in my eyes is, is kind of that in Canada. And so, um, you know, you know, so once I, once I graduated as an electrical engineer, I, you know, did what everybody would do. I went and got a job and I remember so clearly that, you know, I was making, you know, not that much money, but after you'd removed the taxes and, you know, you'd removed the rent and the student loan interest payments and this and that, there was literally more month than money. And, you know, and every month at the end of every month, you'd just be like, wait, this, how, how does this thing even work? Like how, right, how are right. you supposed to make it work? The numbers just don't add up. Then <laughs> uh, you got to go party. You got to do all that stuff as well. And so I was just flabbergasted. And I never had allowances growing up. You know, my parents kind of shielded us from the whole money thing. And, and my only real memory of money was like when I was a kid, my uncle gave me a dollar to go spend at a convenience store. And it literally took me and my brother like an hour to spend it. Cause we were just like, you know, just, we just, it just, just it's kind of like an area that we didn't understand. And so, so when I, when I grew up, I finally, you know, during my evenings and weekends uh, in pursuit of trying to understand money, I thought, well, okay, you know, what would, what would you do? You'd become a financial advisor, you know, go out there and get all your licenses um, and, and start helping others. Right. That, that seems like a noble path. And I did just that. I went and got all my licenses and started helping help, helping families. And something just, you know, didn't feel right. And, and at the time, I couldn't articulate what that thing was. It just 
felt like it just felt like people wearing really nice suits and, and working in really fancy buildings using big words, trying to con- almost intentionally confuse people about things that they barely understood. Right, and and right. when you stood there and just asked them simple questions like, you know, like, what is money exactly? Like, where, where does it come <laughs> from? Or, you know, we're, we're financial advisors here. You know, what is inflation? Like, how does that even like what we just like, that's just part of the equation. Like we just tell people that's a given, but why, where does that come from? How does that exist? And, and so, so all of these questions nodded me for years and eventually I just kind of gave up on that space and I just left and I, and I, and I didn't even want anything to do with it. Um, and, and kind of put my, I guess you could say my pursuit of trying to understand money on the side and spent um, eight years uh, of my you know career really uh, in the robotic space. So I, I worked for a leading robotics company and, you know, as our head of business development and kind of help with, you know, outfitting all the major robotics labs around the world. So Stanford, Georgia Tech, and I uh, traveled around the world to do that. And, and really it was around 2011 or so when I was working for that company, I'd moved out to India to help them expand. Um, I came across the Bitcoin white paper and I, I think it was, it's partially thanks to the fact that I, you know, I'm not the best engineer in the world, but I'd studied engineering and I had this like deep kind of gnawing question around like, what is money? And it really felt like it was unanswered and dude, like pieces of paper with dudes faces on it. Like just didn't make sense to me. It was just like, really? But really that like, that's all we got. <laughs> um, so, 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 so I remember when I had moved out to India uh, from, from Toronto, you know, I didn't have any friends there. Right. So I, I literally spent, I don't know, maybe six months in hibernation trying to learn everything I could about Bitcoin. And essentially at the end of that period, um, you know, really kind of saw what was happening in Toronto with the movement here in terms of, you know, Bitcoin meetups and events. And it just seemed like far more vibrant and lively. And I was like, wait, but there's literally nothing happening in India right now. Like nobody even talks about this or, and that was really kind of the beginning of, of my, my journey in terms of the India Bitcoin story. And so around 2011, 2012, I just made a decision. I was like, look, I mean, I like playing sports, but I don't like watching sports. I'm not going to talk to people about cricket and, you know, this mm-hmm. and that. So I'm like, I, I'm going to only make friends with people who are like die hard Bitcoiners. And I was like, how can I do that? It's not going to happen just sitting behind the computer. And uh, Meetup, Meetup was the answer. And so meetup.com is something that I'm very grateful for. And we, we kind mm-hmm. of leverage that to the max to just get people together in coffee shops at the beginning. And then we, you know, kind of grew outgrew those fairly quickly and then finally started doing them in, you know, five-star, six-star hotels, you can call them. Have you ever been to India? I have not, no. <laughs> you have it? So, so I mean, India... You know, there's, I can have a lot of criticisms about it, but they definitely know how to do five-star hotels right. Like, I mean, uh, when you go to a when you go to a five-star hotel in India, nothing in the world compares to it. The service, the just like the oh, the grandiose kind of feeling that you get really? when you walk in. Nice. And so, what we would do is we would say, "Hey, look, you know." you know, we don't want just like anybody, right. At our meetups, we want like the cream of the crop. We would literally have our, our meetups at like the Lila palace where people are getting like patted down by security at the front just to walk into a coffee shop. But, you know, people would show up with this kind of this mentality, like, all right, let's go. 
Um, and every, every weekend, I think it was every Saturday, my, my wife and I, we would we'd be like, okay, it doesn't matter if, if people show up, if they don't show up, we'll just, you know, just the two of us, we'll, you know, we'll just hang out. Right. Like how bad could that be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was it, man. That was it. And then that, that really, I would say kind of, you know, got things started um, for us in India. And, and it was my first, and, you know, and, and, and by then I had, already seen the internet thing kind of come and go and see friends kind of capture that, you know, uh, momentum and build businesses. I saw mobile by then come and go. And, and by then when I'd seen Bitcoin, I was like, there's no way I'm letting this one go. Like I'm, I'm going to put everything I have into it, all my time, all my resources, like all my network, everything I can. And I pretty much went all in around then. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll just pause there. I don't know. Any questions? Or yeah, no, that's, a, kind of that's an amazing start. Um, mm. Thank you for that. I I agree when you, you, I like the story about the five-star hotels because when you go into a certain environment, it really does kind of change the way you feel and look and deal with people. It's kind of interesting. So I think it's a great place to have uh, meetings about the future of money. It's a super nice, <laughs> luxurious place. So that was a good play. Um, it sounds to me like I'm getting the sense that you were maybe not too unlike myself, kind of a deeply curious, you know, kid and ultimately adult um, that maybe had this gnawing question in the back of your mind, like, what is money? Um, I mean, that for me, that's kind of been a similar experience. And I, I found the central banking rabbit hole before I found Bitcoin. And when I finally put those two pieces together, that's when I decided to go all in. Like, this was the answer to something I think it's really wrong with the world. Um, so, and you mentioned that your parents shielded you from money when you were young. So maybe um, you could just tell me a little bit about your wrestling with that question over the years, mm. and then maybe how your relationship with money, how it's changed as a result um, of, of thinking like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, by shielded, I mean, like, I mean, in, in kind of the most like loving way, right? Like they just, anything we wanted, we got. So it mm-hmm. definitely wasn't, you know, a story. I mean, my parents was, but our story wasn't one of like great struggle. We, we, we had, I had struggles, but definitely not in the realm of uh, not getting what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I meant is, you know, we didn't really have an allowance system, which we didn't really have the, we didn't really get money and it wasn't something we had to actually deal with. Uh, and, and it, as a result, you know, and the, the parents didn't, and, you know, money is just one of those things where people don't talk about it really all that much. Right. I right. mean, most, I mean, and when, when I later became a financial advisor, I sat down with thousands, thousands of families that just blew my mind how everybody, everybody is le- leading a life of, of, of like this quiet, like desperation and nobody is willing to talk to one another about it. Right. And it's this weird like thing that, that, you know, we've concocted up and they don't teach us about it in schools. And, 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 you know, ultimately like when I, when I finally grew up, I was just like, wait, so there's this thing that, you know, that people get into divorces over. There's this thing that people get into world wars over yet. When I go to anybody, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my teachers, anyone, I go to my friends, I go to ask anybody, the financial advisor, who anybody, I go, what is money? And I just shut up. You just go, what is money? And you just let them like, you know, do their mental gymnastics to this day, to this day, like, unless they're a Bitcoiner, have I heard someone be like, well, you know, fungibility. Right, right, right. Ha! 
how how is it that all of us are like it's like oxygen it is the thing that we live on yet nobody knows what it even is (laughs) yeah yeah the most important tool in the world nobody knows it is yeah it is. It is. And, and, you know, I mentioned, I kind of alluded, like when I first got on, got onto the treadmill, if you will, my first couple like jobs, and it wasn't just like a co-op job where you had student loans and daddy's Amex card. And it was like, when you was like, oh, you're on your own now, you're going to do your own thing. It was just like complete and utter confusion. It was just like, I had no clue what was going on. And it, I had asthma and I still have asthma. And, and, and I would say it was, that was the closest feeling to it in the sense that you know, when you have oxygen, you're good, right? No problem. But when you don't, like, you know, when you're underwater right. or when you uh, you have trouble breathing, it's all you can think about. And money is yeah. kind of like that. And it's like, and I went from this like state of like, oh, feeling like I had abundance, I can have water, water to like this part, place where I, I couldn't even like make the numbers work. And, and, and it was almost like the entire thing was like rigged against me. And, and it, it felt that way. But again, like it's so hard if, you, if you're not educated, if you don't have anyone that's even taught you or whatever, it's so hard to articulate or even come up with reasonable. But, but, you could, but if you know math and you can at least question fundamental things like, oh, you're saying that this thing, if it goes up 10% per year, year over year, then it'll become this. But what if it doesn't? Like, what if it doesn't grow by 10%? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, they make all these, like, basic assumptions that, I don't know, I just found to be really absurd. And so, so yeah, so, so you know, it was, it was really just like a series of stumbling upon trying to answer that question in my adult life that I just felt frustrated. And really, Bitcoin kind of just came out of nowhere. Like I said, almost seven, eight years, I said, I'm going to forget about trying to understand money. And I'm going to try and, you know, understand like what sales is and what business is yeah. and what, you know, like how do you, what does innovation mean? And how do you, you know, what does it even mean to build a robot that, you know, can go to Mars or whatever, yeah. like, you know, all this stuff. And so I, I kind of got caught up by that, but again, you know, my many years later when, when I finally like kind of when big, when I moved to India, Robert, the crazy thing was, it was a bit shocking because, you know, in Canada and North America, at least gold isn't really a thing. Like, unless you're like, you know, following whatever Maloney right. or, you know, someone yeah. Robert, like you're not going to really care. Um, but when I moved to India in 2011, that was one of the first things that really startled me was, you know, I was kind of getting onto the whole uh, Ron Paul bandwagon and really learning about liberty and what it, what freedom really means, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and at that time, at that, in fact, I even, I even met Dr. Rampal, luckily, but at, when I moved to India, it was startling to see that on payday, you've got lineups of people, you know, wrapped around the bank or whatever, turning their, their cash, their rupees into gold, you mm-hmm. know? And by the way, I don't know if you heard about the demonetization that happened, right? Uh, uh, five or six years ago in India, where uh, where one day literally people woke up and the dollar, or sorry, not the dollars, the rupees, the the cash that was in their hands was deemed to be no longer valid. This is the five hundred right? rupee bank. Five, you got it. You yeah. got it. Yep. And so, so anyway, so so these these things obviously came into my life way after I discovered Bitcoin. But you know, these were little kind of hints, like I said, like dudes' faces on pieces of paper, and we've just agreed that we'll give you food. I'll give you like you know what I mean, my right. best ideas. I'll give you everything for it. Just seems super bizarre. Seems super bizarre. And you know, I was all into this like kind of this, you know, how do you create a world that isn't based on scarcity, and kind of the fundamental like realization I had was, is that the only way to do that is to have a scarce money system. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, um, 
and and and, and as I was saying is, is that you know and I've heard a lot of your references as well about you know how you know Bitcoin is there's this relationship to time right that you've mm-hmm. talked about quite a bit and and that's what I mean by there's not enough month there's more month than money right yes it, yeah. when you're on that treadmill it just constantly feels like it's getting away from you like you can never retire you can never own that house you can never catch up because because of all these systems right like the taxation inflation and there's all these like layers of like layers and layers and layers of like right. <laughs> bs yeah. that we've the fees and this and that that you just you cannot win even if you wanted to i think and so yeah 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 the, <laughs> Sorry, no it's it's a great point and i like that you brought up the, the thousands of people you sat down to speak with all seem to be leading these lives of quiet desperation because it it is even who some people perceive to be as rich, they're struggling with these things as well. There's just so many layers of managing, just trying to do anything you can to outperform inflation and shelter yourself from taxation, which is becoming increasingly egregious over time. Uh, And I like that analogy to oxygen. I think it's really important because it's something that, first of all, it's invisible pretty much. We don't really under the pre-scientific mind didn't understand the importance of oxygen. Let's say they just knew you had to breathe. They don't really think about it that much, but um, inflation is that it's this, it's the diluting of the oxygen in the room. So we're kind of being forced up altitude, you know, where there's less and less oxygen as they print more money. And that just uh, forces your system to work harder almost right? Like you're as an organism or an organization, you you're getting less and less energy from this, this vital substance. Um, and to your point where the deauthorization, it's like, okay, this isn't even really money then because money should be an asset, like a, the purest asset, preferably, right? You want to have, if you're holding cash, you're trying to hold a risk minimized position. But in the case of the 500 rupee uh, banknote, it basically has this liability associated with it. It just got turned on overnight. It's like you thought you had money, now you have nothing. Like became a full, just a write-off, right? The total realization of a liability. And I wonder if, you know, are people going to wake up to that? And I, I love the example too. If you just look at the piece of paper, you know, okay, it's a piece of paper with a guy's face on it. How much? work and energy was really necessary to create this small token of trade. And it seems intuitive that you wouldn't want to trade that piece of paper or someone wouldn't want to trade you a ribeye steak for that piece of paper, unless there was some, you know, something going on there. And it's just a very persistent illusion. And I think when you think of it in those terms, like you need a money that costs as much time or energy to produce as it's worth, right? So if it's obtaining a stake that takes a lot of time and energy to produce, the money should be equivalent. And today we're operating on this very persistent and widespread illusion that we can just put some smug guy's face on a sheet of paper and put a gun to your head and say, use this or else. I don't see how that holds up going forward, (laughs) but they call us the radical ones. So yeah. Well, but you do bring up an important point The, I mean, the gun to your head, right? Mm-hmm. Which is ultimately, which is ultimately why I believe, I don't know how to say this. Uh, you know, most 
I've been to so many countries now. I've seen so many governments. There's just different degrees of how corrupt they are to some extent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, and why is that? Like, does anyone ever ask that? Like, you know, why why is it that they all seem like they're not that they're working? You know, to some extent against the people, whether it's the monetary system, whether it's just fill in the blank. And I believe that if someone were to buy into that line of thinking, it's because of what you just said, which is that ultimately their power comes from a morally corrupt foundation, which mm-hmm. is by using force. And if you're a believer in the you know nonviolence principle, right, which is that non-aggression principle, which is that I shouldn't you know hurt you if you don't hurt me, then things like the way we've set up, I think our entire system is, is like I said, is doesn't morally make sense. And, and therefore anything you build upon it is going to be destined to fail. And so, yeah. um, and then people say, well, you know, who's going to build the roads and who, oh, you went to a public school. How can you say that this and that, you know, but it's like, you can't, <laughs> you can't say that because it's like, it's like before slavery or whatever saying, like, yes. you know, well, who's going to pick the, you know, cottons in the fields and right. you know, who's going to do all that. It's like, right. no, we'll have, you know, we little do you know that like the humanity will devise technology that will, you know, be like these massive autonomous robots that like autonomously go through, you know, these farmlands and produce it. My point is, is like the free market is magnificent and, yeah. and, uh, and we just need to get out of its way to some extent. Anyways. 100%. Okay. I digress. I digress. But I I think the time point, I think so when I discovered Bitcoin, the fact that for me, the hands of time flipped, meaning I no longer felt like I had, like time was getting away from me. I felt like I had more of it to spend with my daughters to go to the park if I choose or, you know what I mean? Or to like do whatever, (laughs) play a little video game with my friends or my cousins, like to do these little things that I didn't feel like I was like, I didn't have to feel guilty about it because uh, time was working in my favor. Um, yeah, so Robert, I mean, that's, I, you know, I kind of, you know, gave, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, you know, backstory as well, but, you know, those are kind of my main threads, you know, like I said, it's about engineering, it's about, you know, business development, money and, and sales and, and really trying to understand the world and trying to understand like what is innovation, you, you know, and, and, yeah. and the one thing I learned again from like, again, having like dealt with almost eight years of professors and robots and quadrotors and UGVs is that innovation is nothing more than getting to the edge of a certain field or space. And then looking at those building blocks and just figuring out different ways to put them together and creating something that wasn't done before. Right. And Bitcoin arguably is that right. There's only a really about four or five different, like uh, super interesting, but you know, innovations that have been around for a long time that, that Satoshi put together. And, and I think, you know, but having kind of spent a lot of time in the trenches, I feel like back then I was like, oh, wait, like this, this is beyond, you know, innovative. Like this is literally, you know, uh, like solving the problem of our time. Like I, I, I kind of truly believe that all the other problems, the environmentals and the health yeah. and the money printing and the energy and the poverty and the da, 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 da. It gets solved. You fix the money and that gets solved. Fix That's the my, money, my fix belief. the world. Yeah. Fix the money, fix the world. And you know, and then in the inflate, and, and one other quick thing is, is that I also think that it's important to know why you're doing what you're doing. And, and one of my main reasons is I want to see Bitcoin succeed. And if 
let's say 30 years from now, nothing else works, but just we've been able to stamp out inflation to some extent, right. like not stamp yeah. out. Okay. Let them do what they want to do, but we should have a barometer. We should have a measuring stick that we can, you know, opt out if we so choose. And absolutely, if we can at least present humanity with that option, I think we're off to a good start. Now in the process, we would love for privacy to be a bigger deal and for this and for that. Right. But it's just hard to optimize around every single variable. Um, but yeah, Robert, that's, that's a little bit about, you know, kind of coming into like my story in India, you know, and obviously things heat up now in terms of <laughs> what happens and, you know, we end up, uh, but we can, we can kind of get into that, I guess, whenever you're ready. Yeah. So it's interesting too, that India is such a gold culture. I don't know if you could maybe speak to a little bit of that where if there's some historical inertia there that that's caused that to be the case. Uh, I'm only marginally aware that, you know, India was on one of the last countries on a silver standard, I think India and China for a long time. And that, um, you know, in Safedean's book, The Bitcoin Standard, he talks about how Britain and other countries being on a gold standard, actually using a harder money allowed them to usurp a lot of wealth from China and India during that transition period, just because they were holding a money that um, was better at holding value over time. So it was kind of out-competing silver at this time and, and creating a flow of wealth from India and China to these colonial empires. Um, and I, so if there's this deep and I'll let you speak to that, like why gold is such a deep-rooted cultural value in India. And then it seems, I mean, at least the perception we have in the United States is that India is very tech forward. I mean, you guys seem to be really kind of the cutting edge of, of the digital age. So like you said, it's a match made in heaven. Why is Bitcoin not just the thing in India? I, I think I'll, I'll try to take that that last question first, right? Because yeah. uh, I, I think the first one is, uh, I, I don't know if I truly know the answer to that, to be frank. I probably should. I have more of like an anecdotal answer I can give. But mm-hmm. but on the second one about why isn't it? Um, do, you, do you have many Indian friends or a couple Indian friends maybe? There, there's this notorious thing uh, called Indian Standard Time where if you invite like your Indian buddy to a party, they'll show up late. <laughs> it's called it's standard time okay and it's kind of like a thing that a lot of people know about um you know the internet uh didn't get started in india it arrived perhaps maybe 10 years late uh but once the party got started uh yeah <laughs> you know no. It, it, there's no stopping it and so i i don't know what the exact reason is but i think it's perhaps a bit of this like cultural thing where they like where we like to watch um, a bit about opportunities and just observe from afar. And once mm. the opportunity is clear and present, pounce type of deal. Um, mm. And and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But there's also, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, India has definitely come a long ways. Like like when we're talking about my story in 2011, 2012, there was like 20, 30 people at a meetup. You know, today there's arguably, you know, our company alone serves 2 million users. I would guess 10, 20 yeah. million users across the country. And so, but that's still a fraction of a fraction of what's, you know, possible, obviously, right. in India as well, right? Um, but so I would say it's a bit of that, you know, the regulatory scene obviously has not helped. And, you know, I'll go into more more into that detail about kind of at least our stories um, that have taken place and, you know, what's happened over the years. That, that hasn't helped uh, at all um, as well. 
So I think, yeah, and you know, India does have capital controls, and there are uh, there are fairly strict, you know, um, rules and regulations. And so, you know, given all these things, uh, you know, India is also, I think, a growing economy in many ways, and mm. they're not, they haven't really figured everything out. And so, to some extent, they look to, you know, United States and other countries as well, right? In terms of what, and and, and arguably, United States is. You know, the bit license wasn't a big hit. Um, and arguably, even in a, I mean, on a national scale, they're just kind of figuring it out now in a big way, right? So, mm-hmm. so anyway, so I think there's a lot of combination of things. Uh, but to, the other point around, you know, why is India, why is there such this, this big affinity towards gold? Yeah, like I was going to say, all I can say is, is that I grew up in an Indian family and whether it's my mom or my aunts or my uncles or I mean, mostly the, the ladies in the family, they absolutely adore gold. And uh, gold is, I think, just, you know, some people say, oh, people love it because it's beautiful. But I think it's like the opposite, opposite way. It's beautiful because, you know, people love it and, and, and right. people have kind of almost instinctually over the years have have associated gold as a form of of transferring wealth over over your generation right so is and there a story sorry to mm. interrupt, but is there yeah. a particular cultural story or is it just you you grow up seeing your parents and aunts and uncles just buying well, gold do they like, tell you have why? you ever have you ever seen the hindu gods like they're yes, they're literally yes. draped in gold yes. yeah. right like things as gold is it's like it goes back goes back a very very long time right, right. and and uh, I don't know how long, uh, when the Sanskrit and, you know, and, and like all that stuff. But I mean, like, you know, India's obviously got a very, very long history. You know, I, I should admit, you know, off the top is that I'm kind of like a white guy in a brown guy's body because <laughs> I am I, I I grew up in a place called Fort McMurray, Alberta, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> where I yeah. think I had like one other brown dude in my school. Um, <laughs> and so I'm kind of like this guy that's more like you that's had all these amazing experiences in India trying to report on it. So gotcha. I feel kind of like a con job just to some extent <laughs> and I don't have all the answers, but 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 I don't know. I just I just know that it's deeply woven into whether it's beauty, whether it's wedding, like yeah. when you're marrying, you know, off your daughter or whatever it is and these arranged marriages, it's all a function of like gold. And you know what I yeah. mean, right? Like you see the movies and it's like, uh, like I said, the gods, the temples, I mean, and the amount of gold that they're finding, you know, just randomly under some of these Indian temples is just, it's insane to think of uh, how that even impacts supply and all that. It's a different conversation, but but India is definitely, you know, there's this this massive love. Now, in terms of some cultural particular story, I don't know. I, I do know, like I said, in all of the religious things and things growing up, listening to my grandparents tell us things uh, like gold is literally a part of a part of everything. Yeah. Part of yeah everything. I, I like to joke. Religiously. That <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Gold is a tool that's so old as money. Most people have forgotten why it was valuable, which gets you to those properties of money, right? Um, so that's why I was just curious if clearly there's a huge affinity for gold. I didn't know if there was some supporting myth or story or, or what have you, but, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I even, I, I've I, talked to, um, really high net worth investors here and guys that are, that are running private books of business, putting investors mm. into gold and they don't know why gold is money. They're like, ah, oh, it's portfolio crisis insurance. It's the one asset you never want to perform well because that means everything else is doing bad. But they don't understand. There's there's this disconnect, which I guess you could 
possibly attribute to the propaganda of central banks over the past 100 years that gold is kind of a relic. Um, whereas in, you know, in truth, as I argue in a lot of my writing is that it is still the primary geopolitical monetary layer. If one country invades another, they're going to want to be paid tribute in gold. They don't want fiat or drawing rights. You know, they want equity based money, which is gold. So, um, really just, yeah, I'm just fascinated by that. Like, what is it? How do people actually, I'm just trying to get in the mind of someone that, um, I'm, I'm, like, so for example, my, my co-founder, Sutvik, his, his, uh, his uh, father-in-law owns a gold gold store. And so, you know, in our first event at the global Bitcoin conference, where we launched Unicoin in 2013, we actually sold, you know, gold for Bitcoin <laughs> to, some of, to some of the attendees. Mm. And it was super popular. Uh, see, I, I think fundamentally gold is, is I, I think, I could be wrong, but India's a place that's been around forever, you know, whereas Canada is like fairly new, right? If you think about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and so is the United States, but it needs to be a place that's been around forever. And yeah. if you've lived generation upon generation upon generation, right. you've literally see the rupee get like devalued because it's not right. like the US dollar either. It literally loses that. I think people, you know, just put two and two together. And maybe I don't think they can even articulate that they're trying, but I think people literally just view it at, like every Indian person has a safe at home with gold in it. Like it's, it's, wow. uh, it's crazy. It's so yeah. It's like embodied and, like said, knowledge or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like just inherently known. Like that's yeah. how, you know, when you go around, you see people wearing gold type of thing. Like, whereas in Canada, if someone wore gold, it's like, Oh dude, that guy's yeah. weird. <laughs> but in India, it's like, nah, like and the, the Canada gold you got. has no gold, right? <laughs> no, exactly. Zero gold exactly. Reserves, yeah. Interesting. So I think they've perhaps been able to, you know, maybe brainwash us on this side of the world mm, a little bit easier, yeah. right? Because it's like, well, this is where the whole, you know, fiat uh, taking it off the gold standard thing yeah. came about. So maybe, you know, it was a bit easier to do here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of the, you, you don't lose trust in paper money until it fails sort of thing. And it's mostly worked, you know, in the U.S., we've never really had a hyperinflation. The closest thing we had was the Civil War. Um but the dollar has more or less worked over time. So yeah, we don't have that, uh, I guess, historical experience to be skeptical and, and to make us a proponent of gold, people that don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'm just kind of jumping back to, you know, Bitcoin though. I, I do think geopolitically speaking, India is incredibly important because again, India is a, you know, democratic country for whatever it's worth it is you know it does embrace freedom for example you know as i'm going to go into the story to tell like you know the justice system did prevail in the end i mean it was noisy and messy and ugly but there is that and and the people do have a voice and so i think if if india loses the battle for bitcoin it could have a cascading you know a devastating cascading effect on the rest of the world where you know what I mean? Where they just, yeah. oh, they just set a precedent for how to ban Bitcoin properly. And so this is why we're fighting tooth and nail, you know, in, in India and yeah, just trying to make things work, you know, but it's not, it's not easy because it's, it's like, what is it? Chewing glass and staring into the abyss. <laughs> so that's, so this is a great time, I think, to go into that. Um, if you, if you're ready here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what's going on? I mean, we, all we hear <laughs> on this side of the world is, oh, India is trying to ban Bitcoin again. And of course, all the skeptics seize onto that and they're like, see, I told you the governments are going to ban it. 
all the Bitcoiners seize on it and say, it's not enforceable. It's not going to happen. And it, it just seems to be kind of polarizing, but I'm sure the truth is much more murky and in the middle. You've seen it up close and personal. Um, maybe you could just walk us through that experience. Yeah, sure. So I, I think this story really begins on, like I said, December 2013. So uh, just a little bit of backstory. So prior to, you know, while I was working at this robotics company, we we're preparing for this big conference in December, 2013, where we we're going to launch UnoCoin, uh, you know, whatever the first like Coinbase of India, if you will. And I ended up getting hired by a company called uh, Buttercoin, uh, which is, which is out of Silicon Valley. They were backed by Google Ventures, uh, you know, all these like Y Combinator. It was like this dream job, if you will. And I, I got out of robotics and that was my segue into, into Bitcoin, if you will, full-time. I was their head of business development and I worked there for almost a year. But anyway, so, so, so this event, this global, and this event is kind of, I guess, important on a lot of fronts, but at this event we did, so these, these, you know, weekly things we were doing, we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We're finally like, okay, this isn't gonna, you know, this isn't, this isn't a coffee shop thing anymore. Like we've got to, we've got to, you know, there's a lot of questions, there's reporters, there's all this stuff happening. Let's, let's do a proper event, like 800 people, 900 people, you know, tickets, uh, speakers, like a normal event. And so we organized this thing and it wasn't me, but I think some of the other people organizing it thought, well, okay, well, why not also invite, you know, regulators? Cause they're going to need to be part of this. Potentially they're going to, they're already asking questions. So we'll be, we got nothing to hide. This is open source. Um, and we believe it's the future of money. And so I remember my, my first experience over so the, the conference starts up, you know, suit tie, we're all like, you know, running around and someone taps me on the shoulder and says, Sonny, somebody from the RBI, the Reserve Bank of India is here. Uh, they want to speak with you. So that, that was literally our first, you could say, you know, face-to-face meeting. Mm. And I go over, it's an older gentleman and he says, and, sorry, uh, RBI yeah. is the central bank? Central bank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Reserve Bank of the RBI is the central bank. And, uh, you know, long and the short of it, he just says, look, uh, you know, if anyone even so as to mentions that I'm here on stage, uh, I will simply stand up and leave. Uh, you know, understood? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we say, yes, sir. Of course, you know, enjoy, you know, the samosas. Uh, and uh, and that was pretty much the end of that, uh, you know, and, and, and a week after that conference, the, we, the RBI essentially issued a notice on their website saying that Bitcoins and cryptocurrencies uh, are risky, namely uh, the volatility and, and security are their two major concerns. And they just put out a buyer beware essentially. And, you know, that was pretty heavy, um, if you ask me, mainly because, uh, you know, it's, it's like we were just like a, a brand new startup. Uh, there was maybe one other business uh, in, in India or two other businesses at the time that were doing similar things. And, and, uh, and, it, and it literally put a cloud over the entire industry. And, and momentarily, we all, you know, kind of just closed our door because to try and figure out what this meant. There is one story that I want to share. So as I mentioned, I was with uh, Buttercoin. And so uh, I remember, you know, right after a conference, I was in Colombia because my wife's from Colombia. I was literally sitting by the side of a pool. I see what's going on on Twitter. I'm like, oh my God, like what's going on in India right now? We've got 30 people from the tax department at our front door. We only have four employees at the time. We've got, you know, uh, some competitors were getting raided by the uh, enforcement directorate, which is the 
the anti-money laundering, you know, kind of outfit of, of the Indian government. And it was just a really, really scary time because you got to keep in mind up until then, this was all just like fun and games and kind of just like side project type of stuff, right? Like yeah, we're just, yeah. and then really all we were doing is we were just building different businesses, mining rigs, you know, physical Bitcoins, conference. We we're just doing different things to see what would stick, like what, 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 what would the market yeah. actually want? And so, so it was a bit, it was a bit alarming. And so I remember I called Sutvik, who's the CEO of, of UnoCoin, who um, I remember I said, Sutvik, let's just hang up our gloves here. Like, uh, you know, th- there's no need for us to be taking on these, these powerful entities, right? Like we can be doing something else. Like there's a million other opportunities. And Sethic says, Sunny, you know, um, you know, you're, you're Canadian, you know, you'll probably you go working for some Google company. You'll go work, start your own business somewhere else. You'll be fine. But he's like, if I, you know, give up on Bitcoin today, my country loses out on this opportunity. And he's like, we haven't done anything wrong. Like we, have, you know, we just started like a week or two ago. So why, why would we, why would we shut shop? And, that I think is kind of important because, you know, um, you know, as I was telling you earlier is, is that I, I truly believe that the story of at least Indian Bitcoin, I'm sure elsewhere as well, is about not just about smart people coming together, but also smart people acting courageously in the face mm-hmm. of seemingly, you know, uh, unsurmountable odds. Um, and Satvik is kind of the, 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 <laughs> you know, the epiphany of that in my, in my mind, uh, balls of steel would be the appropriate term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. And then uh, another, I, I would say around the same time, that's equally, uh, you know, prolific is, uh, so by the way, I, I just interviewed uh, surreal for the second part. So surreal uh, was this gentleman that I met at our conference and uh, Surreal uh, was in front row. And at the end of the conference, I was living in Bombay at the time and he, he was as well. And so we kind of connected and uh, on our flight and drive back to, to Bombay, he, and so this is like, think about it. With December, we just launched our business, um, you know, the raid and all that other stuff hasn't even happened yet. We're just like finishing up the conference. And I meet this gentleman named Surreal who happens to be, and I just randomly find this out because we're just sitting beside each other on the plane, who happens to be the son of the most prolific lawyer, techno-legal kind of firm in the country, bar none. Like, like nobody holds a stick to Nishid Desai and Associates. I didn't know this at the time, but I meet Surreal and he tells me essentially who his father is. <laughs> and the next day, Satvik and all of us are in Nishit Desai's office, uh, you know, essentially having him school us on what Bitcoin is and how amazing it is, but also how it doesn't break any laws in, in India. And what so happened? The partner in the firm schooling you guys is, about Bitcoin's yeah, reality. Yeah, partner. He's the guy who runs. Yeah, yeah. this guy is the gentleman, and he's, he's the father of Surreal. Uh, yeah. Who, you know, and, and like whether it's like Google or PayPal, I think use them. Whether it's like you know the way foreign investments happen into India, like that was them uncovering that years ago. Whether it's you know payment processing, whether it's I mean they're just literally like like you go on and on and on and on of like things that they've done, and he. He's just this, I mean, he's, he's reaching kind of the end of his career, but the gentleman has just like literally moved mountains um, over the course of his career. And so, so it was really exciting because it was exciting in the sense that, uh, so, so a week later, what happens is we get this notice from the RBI and everybody's like, okay, what are we going to do? 
And Nishit, the, this lawyer, says, okay, um, we have two options. We can either put together this long thousand-page document, submit it to the government to wait three years, five years, and the entire industry, you know, kind of hangs in limbo in India by all, you know, intents and purposes, loses out on the Bitcoin opportunity. He says, or, or we have uh, option B. He's like, we call a press conference. And so he does. He calls a press conference in his uh, in his office, and uh, and again, I'm just kind of getting to the TLDR of it. He says, "Look, um, as per and by the way, this is a firm that has like literally hundreds of people that are engineers first, and then lawyers. Like these are these are wow. like highly highly capable. Or many of them are very very capable, and they understand technology like to the nth degree. Um, and they go, okay, as per our you know, techno-legal analysis, we believe that Bitcoins are not illegal per se. And even in the choice of words was really, really key because no law firm can say that something is legal or, or Bitcoin is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, legal tender. I mean, that, that, that would never make sense. Yeah. But what they can say is, is that, you know, as per our analysis, we don't believe that it is illegal and then even the per se has some weight to it. So my mm-hmm. point is, is this gentleman, like arguably at the end of his career, who's built a, a lifetime of like amazing, amazing accomplishments, decides, and this isn't today when like Elon Musk and like, you know, everybody and their dog is like, oh, Bitcoin's amazing. Uh, this is like eight years ago uh, when when Nishit says, no, well, you know what? We're going to we're going to put all our reputation. We're going to put our line. We're going to put everything on the line because we believe this to be true. And so, I mean, Robert, you know, I'm going to keep going with this interview. But but to me, those are are I think, you know, this is kind of the early part of the story. But those are two, I think, of the people that I'm just kind of like the face. Right. Like telling these stories. But mm-hmm. those are two people that if 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 weren't around. Um, then, you know, I, I don't think Bitcoin would have have a chance right now in India. I mean, there's a lot of back and forth. But anyway, so that, that gets us started with the story. You know, it's his first notice, you know, and then a week after this, this per se comment, you know, all this the companies is, come back online. 2013, this is in December right? 2014 now, January, 2014, February okay. 2014. We're back online. Coindesk is writing about mm-hmm. us. Barry Silbert reaches out, offers to make an investment. Sattvic thinks it's spam because who on earth gives you, you know, money for a business, a Bitcoin business. Mm-hmm. He deletes his email. Barry's like, I'm an investor in Coinbase, an investor in BitPay. Like, you know, let, let, let's do this here. And uh, and so, yeah. And then, and then Barry, upon him investing, I was still kind of toying around at Buttercoin. And I was just like, wait, hold on. Like the Batman of Bitcoin just invested in the company that, you know, that I bought off a of GoDaddy. Like, <laughs> like this, this, this has got to change. So I... Sattvic, you know, lovingly brought me back as one of the co-founders and president. And, and so my, you know, relationship with, um, with Unocoin has been, you know, constant, but, but also a bit off and on in the sense that whether it be like my time with Buttercoin, whether it be, you know, later on in the story, my time with Kraken as the head of business development, working with Jesse um, and his team, you know, and, and Paycase and Canada and all that. But, but Unocoin has been really like the, the main thread, if you will. <laughs> mm. That's very cool. Yeah, I love this combination of it sounds like intelligence and courage um, by these individuals you've laid out on the front line, and how instrumental they've been in Bitcoin's success in at least India or or the region. Um, and I wonder if it. So it sounds like the 
the father, at least the uh, the head of the law firm, he was taking this up almost on a principle, right? That he was defending Bitcoin from a principled standpoint versus just a purely um, pragmatic standpoint. Is Am I getting that sense correct? Where it, he actually believed in the cause and the mission as much as the technology. Yeah, it seemed, and credit obviously to Surreal, his son as well, who's also a lawyer and, yeah. you know, was kind of the one who planted the seed of Bitcoin in his dad's year and really played that part. And I think there's a beautiful story there as well, right? Where, you know what I mean? Like you have this like new generation of young people that, <laughs> that with every yeah. year that goes by their, their uh, kind of level of, you know, uh, impact on the world and on their parents. And yeah. uh, like, I just watched my, the arc of my, you know, kind of conversation with my dad over the last eight years and, and how it's evolved. I, I really do believe that, that, uh, that, you know, that, that I think, yeah, it's, it's a principal thing. Um, I, I mean, he's just like, when I talk about Nishit, I get like, you know, like the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he's just one of those people that, yeah, he's doing it because it's the right thing to do. Um, right. I can assure you that, you know, the monetary kind of benefit, at least at the time and probably up until even today, hasn't even, you know, come close to paying in terms of what he's done. And I've literally like been in meetings and all these meetings with him and, and yeah. just how much he's done. So, so yeah, yeah, principled, you know, and, and, and courageous and, and willing to kind of, you know, face the music and, you know, and, and, and I, and I've learned also that the media, you know, it, it gets one of those like things where it can work with you. It can work against mm. you. I mean, it's really this like beast of its own. And, and, uh, but anyways, but, but I think just to t be able to take all of, all of that umph and all of that, you know, credibility and like put it behind Bitcoin and, and it functionally enable us to relaunch and serve uh, and then get investment from, uh, in my eyes, one of the best investors in the world was really, you know, I, I think at the time, you know, considered a big win for us. Yeah. And we were really the only company um, that, that had any sort of like, you know, investor like Barry come on board for years, for maybe four or five years. That's sort of, that um, resonates a lot too with what I've seen with many investors in Bitcoin is that they, behind closed doors, I think most people are very philosophically aligned with it. Once they get, it's just like, okay, uh, a free market's better than a monopoly, right? It just, it's more um, aligned with human ingenuity and supporting of human flourishing. There's people that really buy into that mission a lot. There's mm -hmm. less people that speak out about it publicly. I mean, I think we're getting more and more, more as Bitcoin kind of keeps I joke that Bitcoin's on a hiring spree. You know, you see people like Ray Dalio coming out in support of Bitcoin, Paris Hilton, you know, people all over the spectrum. Um, but it's interesting to me that that I think that's a very under-discussed aspect of Bitcoin is that it does pull in people's principles and moral fiber. It's like, this is better. This is a better system for people. And even if they don't support it from that standpoint explicitly or publicly, I think... Uh, in their own character, they, they sort of buy into it more deeply. And that seems to me, it's almost like um, an antidote to the, I would say inflation is doing the opposite, right? It's encouraging people to be a little decivilized, whereas Bitcoin's kind of pushing back on that. You know, the funny thing about Bitcoin is that I have never in my life ever had an experience where I'm sitting with somebody one-on-one -on -one 
and I'm not able to explain to them why Bitcoin's amazing. It's only mm-hmm. when you put Bitcoin up against institutions and right. the three-letter and four-letter words and organizations yeah. and the government, it's only then does it start to start, you get a little funky, right? But when you yeah. sit down with a human being and you just explain to them like, Look, this is how money kind of works. Like, there's this new thing. You know, remember, yeah. you know what email? Remember email versus the post office? Yeah. Like, are you seriously going to go back to the post office because it was physical? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, nah, you're not. It was just better tech, and the same thing's happening with money. Um, I, I think more and more people are definitely waking up to it. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, but but, but sorry, what, what was the kind of the question though around? Uh, is like, yeah, I, I want to make sure I get that. Uh, I, I don't know if there was a real question. I just I'm acknowledging this aspect of Bitcoin because it, mm. it plays into one of my other theses that, uh, again, most mm. people get hung up in the rabbit hole. They're like, oh, the government will never allow it, right? This is the very simple Bitcoin critic standpoint. They're just like, okay, yes, I'll give you the Bitcoin's better money and it does all these things, but the government will just simply never allow it. But there's almost a flaw in that mental model or that way of thinking and that we're looking at the government as this indivisible aggregate that's separate from us when in fact individuals comprise the government. So I see Bitcoin as more of like this vortex of incentives where each individual is incentivized to support it. And by virtue of more and more individuals supporting it, it sort of uh, erodes the coherence of centralized power structures over time. That's what I think. And the analogy I've used is like dissolving you know, nation state power structures, for instance, or central bank power structures and a digital acid. Like it's actually influencing each one of those policymakers or decision makers to adopt Bitcoin, if nothing else, as an insurance policy against its success. And then once they adopt or hold some, it changes their uh, behavior towards it. So, yeah. Yeah. I I was going to comment on one thing. So one of my favorite people on earth, uh, is this guy named Raghuram Rajan, uh, who was the former central bank, the governor of the central bank in India. He's no longer, uh, but uh, but he was. And this guy is insane. He uh, was like some top, I think he was the chief uh, of the IMF at one point. He's re- He wrote books about essentially the 2007-08 crisis before it happened. Stood in front of people like Ben Bernanke and essentially predicted the financial crisis to a T, wow. and and was essentially laughed at. But his, his predictions came. The guy is an electrical engineer from IIT, which is arguably harder to get into than MIT. I mean, he is truly, truly smart. And he was the imagine an electrical engineer as the governor of the central bank. So I, I was wow. so like touched by that. Um, unfortunately, he's not there anymore. But but I wanted to bring him up because. There's interviews of him on YouTube uh, where people ask him, like, sir, you know, what are your thoughts about free banking and things like Bitcoin? You know, what do you think of that? And I'm just TLDRing his kind of argument. But, you know, he, he does kind of go on to say that, look, in a world where something like Bitcoin is widely adopted, central banks will struggle because we live off of something called seniorage, which is the mm-hmm. ability to print money, right? And so so he says that, you know, instead of us becoming, you know, the, a source of funds to the government, perhaps it'll be the other way around, like, ha, 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 you know. Um, so, so it, but it was just interesting that, that, that these people are not like asleep at the wheel. They, they, they understand exactly what's going down. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think, you know, and, and, and Bitcoin to me represents really just the source of truth. That's all it is. Mm. It's just, it's just something that allows me to sleep at night, like knowing that I can, 
you know, count on the thermodynamics of it, the mathematics of it, the computer science of it. There's just something. And if I get screwed, I get screwed, but I, at least I know what I'm walking into right. with the other kind of monetary policies and everything. It's almost like inevitable that I'll get screwed, right. you know? Yeah. One's and, exposed yeah. to these endless politics, right. That, you know, again, we, with the deauthorization of the 500 rupee note, this is one, one example of, whereas Bitcoin, you know, that there's virtually no political unilateral attack vectors or so it seems, you know, I think the Bitcoin cash work sort of proved that out, but um, that's really important. And I think that if you could just have that one key understanding, if we could help people see that this is money that can't be politicized basically or politically manipulated or attacked, that's the value prop in a nutshell. It's like, it's, it's a money that like gold, right? Gold was beyond our control. That's why it, it became money. It had a really inflexible supply. No one could change. Well, we've done that again, but we've done it in digital space. And we've now, we now have a money with an even more inflexible supply. The value proposition of that, that uncontrollability, if that's even a word, that's what, that's what Bitcoin is. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, you know, it, uh, and this is why I think this, this story of what's happening in India and what's happened is so important because it's literally like oil and water coming together. And, mm. and, and these are, these are things that's, that's literally been happening. And so, so I, just to kind of, you know, I don't want to you know, bore everyone, but, but the, the, that, that notice that I mentioned, which essentially just was a warning, essentially mm. resurfaced on the RBI's website maybe three times throughout the course of, let's say, five years, okay? And it just, every time things would heat up in the news or they felt like they needed to react, they would put that on their website. But that, it wasn't a lot, except for, you know, obviously growth, right? So Unocoin was growing at kind of a insane speed, you know, by 2017, when the big, you know, the, the last hype cycle was here, we were onboarding, I think, 10, maybe 15,000 users a day, just trying to keep up with, you know, the influx of, of, of users. and what happened around that time was, you know, people, all these like scams started popping up, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, I don't know if you remember, but there's one called Gain Bitcoin in India, where it was like a multi-level marketing thing. They were stealing money from people or something. There was one coin, Ruja. There was like, there was just all the, and then you had the shit coinery, you know, the whole ERC-20 kind of yeah. casino thing started. And you know, the regulators, to some extent, policymakers initially, right, uh, like politicians rather, um, you know, started throwing up a stink on on Twitter, on YouTube and, and started talking about, oh, all these things are the same, right? Bitcoin and all these yeah, like, yeah. in their eyes, they're not going to sit there and try and figure out the white paper and this. And that's so they're just like uh, all of it's you know, yeah. bad. Um, and ultimately, you know, it eventually in 20, I think 17, 2018, it all kind of culminated to this point where the central bank finally issued a notice on their website saying, we don't want any of our banks or payment processors that are within our network to touch Bitcoin. So it wasn't, you know, a banning of Bitcoin. It was mm -hmm. specifically speaking, the central bank saying that we don't want uh, banks to service crypto companies. And so was that legally enforced or was that just like a guideline? How did, how was that? It's a good question. I mean, the way it kind of played out is they put out a notice on their website. Uh, they gave us, you know, I think it was two months. Um, they were very easily able to enforce it right within. And by the way, they didn't need to come to some legal decision. The banks all of a sudden just got scared yeah. enough to, to, to pull banking for companies like ours. 
And you can imagine, like imagine a company like Coinbase without banking. I mean, that's right. that's your oxygen. That that's yeah. how you make money. That's kind of our mission is to bridge this gap between, you know, fiat or rupees and and Bitcoin. So when you're not able to do that at scale, it affects you. And so so yeah, so it was it was devastating. Um, it was really devastating. You know, I mean, we're gonna get to the end of the story, but eventually, yeah, it was the the notice was deemed unconstitutional by all three judges and and it was you know it was it was yeah it was squashed and and but the day after our our victory which was about a year ago to this day um we we had banking the the our banker was in Suffolk's house on a saturday getting us all ready and signed up again and like i mean we do not have beef with the banks we had you know beef maybe isn't the best word to use <laughs> in, uh-huh. in, in the Indian context, but, but you know what I'm saying is that it, it was <laughs> our main challenge was with, uh, was with, uh, you know, the central bank. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting. And, and, you know, the court case in itself is another kind of uh, whole story, but, but in, in general, they, they, they shut it down and, you know, the consequence on us was devastating. We had to lay off nearly a hundred employees. We kind of just brought our company down to the bare minimum of about 20 that we could keep our service up and running, do more of a crypto to crypto play while we figured things out in court. And for almost two years, the company went sideways. Um, And it was, you know, it was, it was brutal. And, and lots happened. Oh man, lots happened even in between then. So you're in 2004. 14 or 15? So now we're on 17, 2017. 17, okay. So we've done, I think, our second round of uh, investments. Uh, and we've, you know, grown, we're growing the company at a pretty in- intense uh, pace. Right. And then along with growth, obviously, comes, you know, a lot of attention and scams. Yeah. And like I said, ICOs and yeah, yeah. people just cannot discern what is real from what is not. And as a backlash, uh, the central bank implements or, or puts out this notice that says that crypto companies, Bitcoin companies cannot interface with the banking system and, so and effectively forces you to you know, lay off a hundred people, get bare bones. Yeah, our revenues. Yeah, kinda, obviously. Yeah. Get, get opportunistic, I guess, with crypto to crypto plays while you figure everything out, as you said. And so then, so then you're, you're a bare bones company, you're in the thick of it, you're going toe to toe with the central bank. What happens next? Right, right. And so what happens next is, I guess, both famous and infamous in some ways. Um, so uh, and again, just to, you know, not trying to uh, put blame or take credit, but this wasn't really my idea, but one of our team members, let's say, we came up with uh, a fairly well-architected plan where we go, okay, if you think about it, Bitcoin doesn't really need banks from first principles, right? I mean, it's right. a completely parallel system. So us not having banking shouldn't stop us from being able to serve our millions of users. We have people that want to buy Bitcoin. We have others who want to sell. Most of them do KYC with us. So we know who they are. Um, what if we just, you know, uh, essentially rolled out uh, Bitcoin kiosks, uh, you know, is, is mm. I guess the, the would be the more technical term. I think at the time we maybe mistakenly referred to it as a Bitcoin ATM, but really what the machines were, were they were the exact same machines that the banks buy uh, as ATMs. And our plan was to acquire a couple hundred of these and deploy them across India. We never even got nearly that far. We we didn't even get to launching one. We, we literally put one inside of a tiny mall. And a lot of people might already know this story, but you know, it's <laughs> I'll just share it one more time. But it's uh, 
So we put out a, a machine in a mall and uh, we're like two weeks away from deploying this thing. And that's kind of a critical point because, you know, what's to follow, meaning any criticisms that were held against us couldn't have even happened because we literally, the machine wasn't even operational. But uh, because of, you know, the the parallel court case going on and all the confusion in the media, and like you said, people from the outside, if you think it's confusing from there, imagine the people within the country mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And so... One day, uh, you know, our guys were just getting the machine ready and and some somebody just somebody random on the Internet saw it and saw like the, you know, the Bitcoin and how Unicoin was going to launch this ATM machine and, and essentially tweeted something and, and it went like insanely viral, like to the point where I've never seen anything go that viral in my life. Um, and you know what and, the tweet and- was? What the tweet was, I could yeah. probably whip it up, but yeah, I, yeah, I know exactly what it looked like and everything because yeah, it was our machine, yeah. and and it went viral. Um, and then the media picked it up, and literally, uh, I think like thirty or forty like reporters swarmed this tiny mall owner's office, and uh, wow. essentially, you know, we're we're trying to figure out what was going on. And long story short, um, due to a lot of the confusion, the police in Bangalore decided to uh, take away our machine, (laughs) if you will. So they came into the mall and they took away our machine. And in addition to doing so, they also, I will, you know, emphasize wrongfully, right? They wrongfully uh, took away Sattvik and and Harish, my two Mm. co-founders. And uh, and it was very, very scary to say the least, right? I mean, that is, I think, every entrepreneur's, you know, biggest fear, if you want to talk about like, the dark side of Bitcoin, that was it. And, uh, you know, in my case, I was, I'm in Canada, I was in Canada, so it's, it's a little bit different, but Sattvik and, and Harish were, I think a day or something were taken away. They were let go a day after, because like I said, there was no way we could have even been doing anything wrong. Um, and it should be noted, right, in, in conjunction with this, that I think two months ago in the high court, this whole thing that I'm referring to was squashed as in like it doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for like a few years, it was still kind of like a, a cloud that hung over um, their shoulders. And and so, yeah, what had happened is, um, you know, they, yeah, they just, they did this and, and, and I, I think maybe the most noteworthy thing would be for me to share with you, uh, Robert, would be that, you know, at the time it was obviously very scary, but like eight months later or nine months later on a call with Sattvik, I asked him, Sattvik, we don't really talk about it, but like, what was that like? Like, That must have been scary, you know, Mm. like, uh, and you know what he says to me? He says, Sadi, actually the, the the food was really good he said the bed was comfortable and the people were really nice <laughs> and i said wow. he's, i said are you serious he's like yeah 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 he's like it's it's actually not that bad but he's like obviously nobody wants to be in there but you know and, and i also asked him like and around this time right while we're fighting in the supreme court with the central bank we started getting word that there was this bill that was percolating you know, kind of in the background. And, and we did a bit of a, I think it's called a, you know how it's, you know, the Right to Information Act or we, where you kind of, where the in the United States, you can like ask like a public for, disclosure kind of thing. Yeah. You, no. Well, if the government is making certain decisions, you can, as the public, you can ask yes, to get more information right. and they have yeah. to kind of, you know, abide. So we had done things like that and learned that, you know, effectively the industry was trying, they were trying to stamp out, they're trying to choke out the industry, right? Like that mm. was one of their main, you know, kind of goals. And if you think about it from our, like a, as a Goliath, you know, 
of of that magnitude, right? Like these are the entities that that literally print the money, like the print the money, the oxygen that we survive yeah. on yeah. against a scrappy startup that's you know just trying to figure out how to grow and and serve its customers. It was it was it was a very very intense time. Um, but then but then so I I asked Sat because I said Sat you know this bill like this thing that's coming through the pipelines. Like, what if something like this goes through, you know, like, what if they actually try and ban, forget the central bank, what if the government, which is, you know, kind of going to get more to the recent story part, right, which is the government uh, is, you know, entertaining this idea of banning it. I asked him, like, what would happen? And he's like, Sonny, you know what? It's India. We'll figure out how to get a computer. He's like, but getting that many Bitcoiners in one place together We'll come up with so many Bitcoin business ideas. You won't even believe it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, so I, I do think that there's this, I don't know, the spirit of like hope and entrepreneurialism yes. in, 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 in not just, you know, in the, I know we always hear about like the Coinbases and, you know, all the other uh, companies, but I think there's a lot going on, you know, in India where people are stepping up to the plate and, and taking on these big, big challenges. And, and so, so anyway, so, so back to the kind of the, you know, the main storyline. Uh, if I could ask one question. Yeah, there's so, so much in there. Sudfik. And the mm. other co-founder were arrested. Harish. Yes, Harish. Yes. They were yeah. so handcuffed, put into a van. In the, from their homes, them. in front of their kids. From their homes. Yeah, and family. That's, yeah. Mm. So, and this is because they deployed the kiosk that was contradictory to the central bank notice. Is that kind of the reason? They were out a day later because there was no real reason. Right. It was just mass confusion and hysteria and people didn't know. And, and and there was this question around, like even you said, right, is is Bitcoin banned in India or not? Right. See, this whole court case, not not the one this year, not the kind of the, the stuff that's happening this year. But I mean, like up until last year, it wasn't about banning Bitcoin. It was about what I'm telling you, this whole yeah, central yeah. bank drama, right? So, uh, um, so yeah. then... Okay, so wrongfully arrested, more or less, because there's, yep. they didn't actually break any law, clearly. Then mm -hmm. uh, my question here is, how much did it Sutfix's father, right, that's involved with the law firm? No, that's actually that's actually surreal. Uh, oh, surreal. Desai is the is the law firm. Yeah, that did that, that did there. those relationships play into their release? Absolutely, or, they were. Yeah. Oh yeah, they are. I mean, Nishit Desai and Associates, they're like uh literally a part of i mean they're practically a part of our company in the sense gotcha. that you know okay. they they are shareholders they're also yeah they're they're a critical part of the organization um and and yeah and and all the way and by the way just to you know um to, to fast forward a little bit but this last year there was this big you know court case that i mentioned right between the iamai which was the industry body right that came together to take on the central bank so there was other companies and entities that came together but it, there were like five major kind of legal points okay and we can go through those one by one or i can just give you the link and you know people can look it up or whatever right but there were like five very legal points right in terms of like the proportionality of the the punishment in terms of what the risks were uh you know it not benchmarking against international standards and looking at things like fatf and you know how the rest of the world was looking at it so there was there were like 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 that our lawyers had essentially gone through and you know um poked holes in all those arguments very in a very like amazing way right and that was by the way again you know lawyers from you know Nishit design associates and yeah. and other firms like that so, and, I, and so yeah they've been along the way the whole way yeah the, the general 
just question there I had is I know you you said that the justice system more or less worked because they were released when they weren't they were wrongfully arrested. But I wonder how much of that like would it have been very delayed had you guys not had this deep legal relationship with a very prominent law firm in India? I'm just wondering how much of that was the justice system operating well versus you know knowing the right people to pull the right strings. Um, I think having very great, amazing lawyers are a big part of the equation yeah. and not necessarily, you know, doing things like in a bad way, but like doing things in the right way, like literally understanding both the legal framework, but also the technology at hand and understanding yeah. where those two brush up against one another, you know, the, 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 the kind of the false arrests or whatever, that's really like a, a little bit of a side shoot of a story. The, the bigger, you know, the bigger story was the one, like I said, a year ago when, what the part I wanted to share with you was, so so now imagine, you know, two years in court, we're battling this thing, you know, mm-hmm. by then, by the way, myself, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even think we would make it through it, right? Like who, who, who gets through like a, like this is like American gladiators times a million type of deal, right? Like, you know, like no way. Uh, and so, so I, in the midst of all this, uh, actually, um, Work for Kraken for a little bit, but anyway. So what the, the part I wanted to share was is that the at the the kind of the apex of the uh, the court case, uh, the three judges said, okay, you know, you guys are fighting this on the basis that this notice is unconstitutional, right? But the constitution applies to people, not necessarily companies or groups of companies. So tell us an example now of where a person was personally like was impacted negatively. And it was Harish, so my other co-founder, mm. who was literally on the stand along with, you know, and it was JD, who was a lawyer from, you know, Nishit Design Associates that essentially were, you know, right there, like at ground zero. And it was, you know, the having to lay off the hundred people and like the false arrests and all the other million things that's, you know, has had a ripple effect right on our lives. Like imagine, like it's, it's crazy, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, to have to go through all this. Um, so, so it was actually his life that was kind of put on trial. And that was, you know, in my view, at least I could, you know, I'm sure people would uh, disargue with me to some extent, uh, but all of it's available, right? Like in the, in the PDF document, people can read it. It's, it's all public information. And so, so I refer to those people as, you know, the unsung heroes, right? The, the Harishas, the Sutfiks, the, the Nishadasais, the Jadeeps lawyer that actually, you know, these are the people that, you know, Crypto Kanun, there's a guy who uh, is a t- Twitter handle as Crypto Kanun. He was literally in the courtroom tweeting in real time, word for word, what was happening. I mean, and I, and I interviewed him on my YouTube channel as well. And, and he shares it. And it's just like this beautiful story of like all these people coming together that didn't even know one another, but they just, you know, cared about this thing called freedom. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I I think it, Amazing. Yeah. That's an interesting anecdote too, for just how much technology is actually reshaping the process of legal proceeding. Right. Cause <laughs> That information that used to be sequestered to a courtroom, now a guy is releasing to the world via Twitter in real time. And I, <laughs> yeah. I just often wonder how much that influences, um, you know, public perception related to these things. Where in the past, say in the 20th century, where media could be much more centrally controlled, that allowed the powers that be to control the narrative more effectively. Whereas in the modern age, um, they've sort of lost their grip on it. So, yeah, and you know, I was going to say is uh, just like how Twitter can be used to do that. So mm-hmm. can the Bitcoin blockchain. And, you yeah. know, I, I can't share like the names and details, but 
there is another little bit of an offshoot of a story where, long story short, there was a government official that was doing nefarious activities, essentially, mm. and and was using Bitcoin to do it. And, you know, companies like ours can use the blockchain to prove that as well. Right. So just like how people think, oh, well, you know, some of these tools are bad for people. I agree they are. But that bit of transparency actually can be used in both ways, right? right. And to keep the world honest. So I, I don't know. I, I, Bitcoin is, I don't know what to think about it, man. It's just like, it's the most beautiful thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the, it's like the ultimate mind fuck. Yeah. It <laughs> is the ultimate. Stop thinking about it. <laughs> it is the ultimate mind fuck. There's no question about that. And no, yeah, as Lop says, no one has found the bottom of the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, oh, and his website's great. Have you seen all the resources there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very comprehensive. Yeah. So yeah, so that that's I mean, like I said, I glossed over a lot of stuff, Robert. But I mean that that's kind of the arc, you know. Like I said, this year lots of stuff has happened as well. But 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 that story I just shared with you is is really to me a special one, and I don't think many people know about it, you know, aside from a few shares here and there. Um, and so yeah, so thanks for giving me the chance to you know share it with yourself and your audience. Absolutely. So where is it? Where did things stand today, I guess, in terms of the yeah. Bitcoin? So, so the Bitcoin mission in India or the Bitcoin mission yeah, for so, your firm? And how is yeah, yeah. how is the conflict with the central bank? Where is it, where does that stand today? Because we're hearing these rumors again. Oh, India's yep. banning crypto and it's it just feels like a feels like deja vu. So, Take, take everything, obviously, I say with a grain of salt, because like I said, even though I have my OCI, which is like an overseas citizenship of India, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a Canadian, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm like one of one and a half billion people there. So I'm like, I'm like a nobody, right? But, but my two cents on it. Okay, so following this, so we got banking back right away. If I had to put like some numerics on it, you know, we were buried, obviously, as a company, it was in a very tough place. Um, you know, following all of this after two years of running on fumes, uh, we, you know, not only got banking back, we had, you know, obviously millions of customers that started using our platform. And so the company started doing really well, really quickly. And thanks to guys like Tim Draper, who, you know, his son, Adam, uh, invested in us many, many years ago. We were also part of, you know, the Boost tribe. And so, so yeah, so you know, again, when we were kind of like down and out, and the story wasn't really out there, like guys like Tim were like, "Oh shit!" Like, okay, let's go, and and you know, we've got other people that I don't think we've even made announcements of, but like the family behind, you know, Franklin Templeton is an investor in UnoCoin. Like I said, Max Kaiser, we've got Simon Dixon, and we just got this amazing like array of you know investors that are believers in the Bitcoin mission, right? Mm-hmm. That that really helped us kind of get things back in order. So we were maybe the I don't know on Alexa, maybe the 100,000 top website in the world. Today, we're maybe 40,000 something. So in the last four months, we've, you know, six months, we've come back to life. Uh, You know, we're we're growing, like I said, the company's doing well. Um, Now, a couple months ago, maybe a month or two ago, that bill that I alluded to a while ago in my conversation with Satvik, where, you know, the government's trying to potentially ban it, et cetera, et cetera, that surfaced itself, um, you know, found its way into the parliament, but not through the parliament. And so this was very different. So this wasn't judicial, this was legislative, right? And there's a difference in the sense that everything that happened to us up until this point with the court case, et cetera, et cetera, was a part of the court system, right? Like I talked about judges and lawyers, what has happened more recently is a function of what's happening within the parliament. And 
again, I'm TLDRing a lot here. So I hope, you know, people correct me if I'm messing it up. But essentially what happened is the government now, so like all the different arms of the government have come together, formed a committee, and they essentially were trying to propose a bill that was how do I say it in short? Super scary, right? Just like not allowed to do anything with Bitcoin. I mean, not even allowed to think about it probably mm-hmm. type of deal, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very scary. Um, And so, you know, there was, I guess you could say a not a bit of a backlash only, but also simultaneously, like I talk about the juxtaposition of all this, right? Simultaneously, you're seeing Tesla and, you know, thanks to guys like you and MicroStrategy and all that like narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and so you guys might think, oh, you're just maybe doing it for a certain, but no, it's like everything you guys do here is like a win for us over there. And huh. you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, this is yeah. actually... So, so all this is going on literally in parallel where now even companies in, in India are saying, hey, well, we, we might want to hold this, what is it, this engineered treasury asset, as Michael Saylor yeah, so yeah, beautifully yeah, put yeah, it, yeah. right? And now you've got them standing up. And so very quickly, and again, I'm just, this is just my viewpoint, and I can't talk about you know a lot of the stuff, that, some of the stuff that obviously happens behind the covers but 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 above you know you you saw you know on twitter you saw the chief finance minister i believe it was the lady who spoke about how they you know they're not going to ban bitcoin but you know they're not going to obviously allow it like willy-nilly they're going to find some sort of you know a middle ground uh, which is a bit cryptic if you ask me but still mm-hmm. you know um you also saw you know you saw, you just started seeing more and more regulators as well coming online saying you know we're gonna we're gonna take a more tailored approach so i I personally believe that the narrative around banning Bitcoin in India right now is somewhat over. Um, you might now say, hey, wait, Sunny, but what about this article? What about that article? Uh, mm-hmm. And yes, there are articles like that that come out. And, and you know, and, and sometimes they'll be like, they won't even have a person. It'll just be some unnamed person said this or whatever, right? right, right so right. I always think those, like, it's important to question those because like the one thing I've learned is what you read in, in the news is like, you know, 99% usually, you know, not accurate or something yeah. is off about it and they never tell the full, there's just always an angle. And so, so I, I wouldn't read too much into that, but we, we do think there's a bit of a tide turning. However, however, I'll say this is that the future is a function of our efforts. Meaning if people like, let's say the industry members think, okay, well it's done. Yeah. Well, you know, Sunny said that, you know, it's going to be all fine. And then they don't do anything then no. But I think if you look at what's happening around the world, whether it's like industry bodies coming together and self-regulating and you know what I mean? Like companies working together to some extent to at least alleviate some of these like regulatory um, concerns and, and building tech, right? Like what if you could build tech? Like, you know, when, 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 when in 2014, when the RBI said, Oh, volatility is a concern. The first thing we, launched with something like a dollar cost averaging tool, right? Where people mm. could average their way into Bitcoin instead of have to be, you know, exposed to the volatility. And I think, so what my point is, is like, if you get the industry engaged um, in, you know, oftentimes you can build technology to address the concerns of regulators instead of having regulators come in and try and, you know, regulate something that they maybe don't fully understand or appreciate. So that's kind of, I think, where India is today. I think it's turned a corner, but now it's more a question of who gets to play. Mm. Will it be these like, you know, players that have been in the space for eight years that maybe aren't like banks and, you know, the stock exchanges and the big guys? 
or is it going to be them? And so I'm not saying it's, it's by any means, um, you know, behind us, but, but the challenge ahead, I think is more along those lines, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the two year struggle in court and then the final disfavorable decision for you guys, I get what were they litigating? Uno coin or was it the individual? It was well. It was actually the IAMAI, the uh, India's Association of Mo- uh, sorry Internet and Mobile Association of India. So it was okay. a, it's a, it's like Google and all the big entities are a part of this like massive kind of industry body. It's not just like yeah. a, a Bitcoin yeah. thing, but they were essentially the face of the court case, right? But but okay. if you peel the onion back a bit, you'll see that the lawyer, uh, one of the main lawyers, was a guy named Jay Deep, uh, who was who works for Nishit Desai and Associates, and another. Uh, lawyer as well, who was uh, working closely with JDeep. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that, yeah, there, so there's a lot of, I don't know if that answers your question, but there's a lot of, yeah. maybe I missed that. So the, the question is the final decision, which was, mm. uh, I'll let you explain. And then how has that impacted India's regulatory stance on Bitcoin going forward? Like, was that, so, was that a pivotal decision? We think it's we think it's fairly big because because of the fact that this was you know in the court of law like these are judges in the Supreme Court that decided that you know that the Bitcoin um, you know or at least the bank ban on Bitcoin companies was unconstitutional mm-hmm. and that was essentially the final kind of verdict right that yeah. just they just removed that ban and as soon as that happened like I said all of our payment processing and mm-hmm. banking kind of came online. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that that that's kind of so that's what that means. Now, what's happening now, and in some of the I guess more recently, like I said, is is a bit different because you know people who are elected officials are different from people like, for example, who run the central bank or judges mm-hmm. and lawyers, right? And that's another thing I'm starting to realize, or I've learned over the last eight years, Robert, is that the government is really kind of like a multi-headed Loch Ness monster, right? Yeah, like the, right. The, and where one doesn't even talk to the other. And yes. to say that, oh, the, this is the Indian government's position is very, very challenging to say, right? Because are you, what about FEMA? What about SEBI? Right. What about, right, you know, RBI? Right. What about, so there's literally, so you have to almost try and at least as an entrepreneur, which is really difficult, is try and understand, you know, ideally by hiring lawyers as well. But like, you have to understand what those laws are and try and, you know, not break them right because yeah. you know as an entrepreneur because if you're trying to introduce something like bitcoin if you think of it as like a science experiment just introducing bitcoin to the market is the variable that you're that's your uh you know your variable if you will and all mm. the other variables are tr- you're trying to keep it constant yeah right, right, <laughs> so right. we, we, we yeah. try not to mess with every element like we try and do everything by the book because we know every eyeball is going to be on us yeah and and that's kind of been, you know, good and, and bad, but it's it's been interesting nonetheless. You know, I'd much rather be sitting here telling a story like Brian uh, about Coinbase going public, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> but it's back to the whole, the core value yeah. proposition of Bitcoin being uncontrollable, right? No one can wrangle it in and put it, fit it into some jurisdictional framework that it will abide by. That not only is that its greatest value proposition, but that it's that's also its greatest challenge in bringing it to market is that you have all these rulemaking bodies attempting to control it in some way, or at least um, protect their interests with Bitcoin coming into the market. And to your point, you know this multi-headed beast that is the government and regulatory framework or frameworks around the world—they're all trying to look out for their own interests in relationship to Bitcoin. So I can see where things get super murky and complicated 
very quickly, which is why the entrepreneur can never be complacent, right? You got to constantly yeah. be vigilant. Um, but it's kind of ironic, though, that in search of freedom, we need to learn all about this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you'd think that Bitcoin was a bit of an escape valve, but like the more you try and serve in this space, like the it's just it's like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. Like yeah. I think Elon yeah. said that or something. It's just so accurate. And the number of times where, where I think we've felt that is is <laughs> yeah. far too numerous. But you have to have something that you know, like I said, is, is Bitcoin is just so beautiful that. It's hard not to be in service of it. So that's where you guys are at today. You're, you've gotten more regulatory clarity, and now you're trying to bring Bitcoin to billions. Br bring Bitcoin to billions? We're at, like I said, two million. We've got a lot of exciting things ahead. Uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're growing. Um, uh, we're work, trying to work with all the other industry players as well we, as well as we can to, you know, collaborate on, on, on these types of fronts. Um, I, I do, you know, if other exchange owners or whatever, if they're listening to this, you know, we, we do have a lot of kind of conversations going on now to try and really be proactive about addressing these risks, right? Like ultimately governments are concerned about certain risks. And so, you know, we think it's important that people like us that are engineers, that are entrepreneurs that are facing these challenges day in and day out, actually address these risks like mm -hmm. big boys, right? Like like that, that that actually come up with like solutions to this and say, hey, look, we got it. We got it. Like this, 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 whatever, this thing you're worried about here, this is how we solve it. Right. And um, yeah. 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 So I think that that's where we're at. Like I said, we're, we're growing now again. Uh, the company's doing quite well, you know, never as well as you obviously wanted to do, but it, it, it feels good. You know, like mm -hmm. Coinbase, I think set a new standard in terms of what's possible. And yeah. you just see all the companies around the world doing so well and Bitcoin's just doing well. And so, yeah, we're, we're really happy, man. We're just uh, right now is definitely a good time, but brace for impact yeah, yeah <laughs> never, yeah. you never get too complacent you know right. never get too uh too excited and well, that's a honestly it's a really mm -hmm. great story and i'm glad that it's got at least a happy ending for now i mean you guys have done a lot of good work come a long ways so maybe we can pivot a little bit now into some sure. more you know general life or philosophy topics i've seen you use this term uh lean just beyond your edge could you tell me what that means yeah. Yeah. I, I think it means just that. I think, uh, you know, cause I was, I was listening to a lot of your talks, right. With, uh, with Lex and all these guys. And I loved how you got philosophical. So I, I didn't want to just leave this to storytelling. I wanted to kind of dig deep a bit. And I, I feel like that is one of those things. Uh, it was funny. Someone asked GPT three, uh, the other day it was on Twitter. They asked him, you know, how do you do something creative? And, and this AI bot said, do that, which you fear most. Mm. <laughs> and I think there's so much truth in that, you know, like uh, in the last four months, five months, Robert, I've put out almost a hundred, like two hour long YouTube videos, uh, mainly because I just, I'm putting it all out there. I'm putting it all out there as in like, whether it's like business wise, whether it's building communities, whether it's, you know, educating people, whether it's like whatever, making documentaries, like I even like, you know, it's a bit embarrassing to, to admit, but I'm even like creating music now. I'm just learning, but I'm just making music. Yeah, oh, Bitcoin, so cool. you know, it's like, yeah, because you don't know, like, you don't know how long we're going to, I mean, I hope I live forever. Like I love the singularity <laughs> shit, but as I get older, I kind of think like there's a good chance I might not. I mean, you know, humans haven't figured it out just yet. So 
if that's the case, then then leave nothing to chance, you know, yeah. just put it all out there is kind of, I don't know my thinking, you know, and like with, I, you, I think I heard you, you have a daughter as well. It's like, when you got kids at home, you're just yeah. like, you know, like, I, I don't want them to be older and be like, well, why didn't you just try a little bit harder about this Bitcoin thing? We could have had freedom and we, we didn't have to be living in cages and, you know, and whatever, whatever. But yeah. I think it's important to, you know, speak up because I do think that as at one point it gets too dangerous to do so. Um, and I don't think that point's arrived yet. So, yeah. so I'm just trying to, you know, encourage more people to just be like, yo, just turn on your camera at home and do a YouTube thing if you're stuck at home or do something, but like speak up because yeah. uh, you know, your future depends on it. That's a great way to look at it. And I, it seems to be the only path for growth is to kind of get comfortable getting uncomfortable sort of thing, getting outside of your own comfort zone consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, Reminds me of this quote, I think from Schwarzenegger, he said, you must first know what is too much before you know what is enough. So it's like, <laughs> you really have to, it's it's the entrepreneurial spirit, right? We're on the edge of our own understanding, experimenting, iterating, trying to turn something from the unknown into something useful and known. And that requires, you know, a lot of fail forward, right? Which I like that lean just beyond your edge. So it's always, I guess the spirit would be to always have one foot in order and one foot kind of striding towards chaos a little bit to, to see what you can figure out and, and definitely what one of my other favorite quotes is by this gentleman named uh, Vinod Kosla, which is that this is probably my favorite quote, which is success matters. Failure is inconsequential, inconsequential. So failure mm. matters, uh, sorry, success matters. Failure is inconsequential. Mm. Um, I think that is one of the most beautiful quotes, you know, and it just, I don't know, for me, it it gives me this framework where it's like failure doesn't matter like yeah. even a tiny bit. Cause when I'm 80 years old, people will just look back and just talk about the things that actually worked yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the they million the things failures. you tried and yeah. the stupid little songs and videos and companies and little brain farts here and there. No one's going to remember. No one gets That's a, a shit, great right? way. <laughs> I love this low time preference lens you're putting on it where you keep talking about your future self, right? Your 80 year old self or whatever. Yeah. Um, looking back on your life. And it's true that people, if you do something and it's abysmal and the market doesn't find it useful, they'll just forget about it. But it's through that process of trying and experimenting that you're going to do these few things that really shine and stand out in your life. So um, it reminds me, I guess the similar one I've used in my own mind is there is no losing. There's only winning or learning, right? You're either Mm. successful or you're failing and you're hopefully learning from that failure to incorporate, you know, into your patterns of action for future success. So great way to look at yeah. it. Um, and I think, you know, little things like family and I know they sound a bit cliche, but like having a peaceful home yes, <laughs> where you're not like yeah. fighting, right. uh, having a wife that's like super supportive, like literally unconditionally supportive, having kids that get it, having yeah. parents that get it, that, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I think there's a lot of things that make it pop. Like, I think, I think health and, and then mm. mindset and, you know, morning routines and meditation and yoga and blah, blah, blah. There's all these other little nuances that people would never talk about, you know, in a Bitcoin show or whatever that 
without it, like without, you know, getting like your posture straight and your breathing exercise without doing all these things, you cannot even think about trying to take on, you know, the Goliaths of the world. I I personally believe because if you're broken, then you're fucked. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The world will eat you up and spit you out. You know what I mean? This is like Jordan Peterson telling people if they want to (laughs) save the world, go clean their room, right? You got to start small. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's that Naval quote too it's funny how lost i get in quotes when we start talking philosophy but there's just so many good ones naval saying that um the three things money can't buy or i think a sound mind a fit body and a house full of love Mm. or household full of love and yeah you really really have to work at that and it's not easy to stick the landing on all three um takes a lot of work and maintenance and i know it's something i'm personally striving towards all the time definitely don't have it perfected but um working and you know i think i think a lot of people also robert they use their family as an excuse and myself included right Mm -hmm. um i think that's kind of the worst of it all is i think a lot of people they get they turn 80 and they should have could have would have type of deal ends up being ah well you know you didn't it was because of you and it's like I no, like leave it yeah. all out there you know and and you're i think your wife and your kids will respect you more um you know there's this have you ever heard of a guy named david data i was gonna ask you no I, no uh-uh. anyway so he's got this like beautiful story in one of his books where he talks about this like guy who's about to go to war and he turns to his wife as he's leaving his house um and his wife's like you know don't go like you know like starts crying right and then he lays out like two different kind of paths. One is where he's like, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, <laughs> I won't go. I'll just stay home. <laughs> and then there's the second one where, you know, he, he goes and it's, it's ironic, but like in the first one, you think that your wife would be more happy. It's like, well, you just yeah, he listened yeah. to me. Right. But in reality, yeah. it's like, there was something that he had to do. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't know. I, 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 I always think about, you know, mission before anything else. Right. And mm. I think like Bitcoin is really like, we, we're living during this exciting time where, you know, only a handful of people even get this thing. And we see kind of the asymmetry in in like the world we live in and how this could be this like ultimate source of truth for, for like, you know, bringing love and, and freedom into this world that it's just like our, our duty, right? You know, like you don't want to be, like I said, turning old when you start, when your energy starts to drop and your biceps aren't as big, you can't run right. as fast. You can't do the spinning back kick as nicely. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that way and, and worried, right? I want to be acting now. Yeah. Strong, healthy which, and put everything out there, man. Which plays into the first one, like to, to, to go off to war is to lean into your edge, right? To go sacrifice for the mission. Um, and that's how I think you create a more satisfactory life for yourself. Cause if, if you chose not to go, you'd probably always regret it. Um, but then also to your point for your family, right? It's where we need, we're, we're aiming creatures. We need a mission. We need a thing to go do and to see something as important as many of us find Bitcoin. And then to choose to be complacent or stay home, I think it's just a pathway to a, a very, unfulfilled existence you might say but that's interesting you have to actually contradict the woman which is (laughs) you must be selective (laughs) when you do that (laughs) but i I think i think a woman a true woman like they get it you know they get that 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 you know i mean at least i don't know um that that 
You know what I mean? Like sometimes your man's just got to, you know, be in the basement and, and doing his YouTube videos or, yeah. or staying up late night and making those business calls or whatever it is. Right. And, and, but I think it's very difficult to find someone that, that can be supportive and understand, you know, that. And so I think I've been very lucky on, on that friend parents, right? Like to know yeah. that I don't need to support my parents financially. Like my parents yeah. had to support theirs. Like yeah. you imagine that must've been hard. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I yeah, yeah. money back every month, let yeah. alone knowing that if anything goes wrong or everything, or anything I've ever had gone wrong in the past, I could always just like pull the parachute and be like, mom, dad, I'm coming home. I have yeah. never had to, but yeah. the fact that I have that at my beck and call gives me so much strength and gives right. me so much ability to take risk that, Again, it's all these little, like, I think nuances that, you know, people kind of like take credit for, or it's like, oh, you know, it's like, nah, it's like, it's usually a function of like a lot of people helping out and, you know, right. Yeah. And then money's just the least of it. Like think of reputation, like up until even six yeah. months, three months ago, dude, like reputationally to be a Bitcoiner is like, it's like death. Yeah. <laughs> like most people will think you are a, like a professional scammer of sorts. Like, right. That is literally the the narrative that most media and governments and around the world people paint of of this space. And Bitcoin doesn't have a a media budget, right? Right. Like like no one's no one's gonna pay to. So it's it's really frustrating. But this is why I'm I'm doing kind of like my Bitcoin stories thing every day. I'm just trying yeah, to awesome. interview authors and different people, you know, and just like put a spotlight and encourage other people. Be like, look, you can do it too. Like whatever your art is, just bring it. And just yeah. offer for Bitcoin. Yes. Like you don't need to do anything different. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a call to arms for educators because yeah, Bitcoin doesn't have anyone paid to defend it necessarily. It really, it really is just this pure implementation of timeless monetary principles. And in a lot of ways, maybe like an implementation of natural law, right? It's it gives you your right, an inviolable right to life, liberty, and property when you're holding Bitcoin. It's like, this is monetary energy. It supports your life. It gives you absolute sovereignty over your money, which gives you you know, essentially as much liberty as you can have in the world with money. And then it's a property right that can't be violated you know, through inflation or confiscation, which is really important as we've seen throughout history. Um, so I wonder if, is, is that what, you've talked about this matching our consciousness to the world's energy. How yeah. do you, what is the relationship that you see between Bitcoin and consciousness? Is it changing the way we see the world or are we changing? Like what's going on? <laughs> Cause it, it seems to my be first... changing people a lot. <laughs> I'm, what would I say? Where the road to religion ends, the road to spirituality begins. Where the road to spirituality ends, the road to reality begins. Mm. Uh, so, so to me, Bitcoin is this like ultimate truth source. It's this reality that I just feel like I I can build my life around. So, mm. so, uh, so I, I I kind of see it as as you know I don't know I don't know. It's just. Uh, like just just talking about it, like I'm ten years into this game, right? It's got and I'm, it's got nothing to do with all time highs, none of that. It's just like when I just think of it, I just think of the word freedom, right? That, that's literally yeah. the the word that that resonates most. And and I think you know the deep masculine energy in me, right? And I'm not talking about men versus women. I'm talking about like that masculine energy that I think girls or guys or anyone can have mm -hmm. really calls for freedom, you know, at yes. our deep source. When we talk about 
you know, like kind of our darkest desires, or we talk about, you know, our consciousness matching the world's energy. To me, that means essentially it's, a, it's not enough to just have these ideals. Like, you know, Max Kaiser, we talked about how Bitcoin and Satoshi is essentially God, you know, in some ways, how Bitcoin is just mm. like this new religion, right? Yeah. Uh, that would solve a lot of our tax problems, by the way. But <laughs> the thing is, is that I, I do think that in my mind, and again, as somebody who, you know, my wife is Christian, my parents are Hindu, I'm just flat out confused. Um, <laughs> I, I go to church with, well, when church was a thing before the, the whole, you know, uh, uh, coronavirus thing, right? Before I'd go every weekend, right? Not because I'm Christian, but just because I, I like going with my wife. She's hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like keeping her company and, you know, and, yeah. and I learn things here and there, right? But I, I kind of have this relationship with religion where it's like, I'll, I'll learn what I can. Um, but I, I do think that Bitcoin, it represents that, right? And, 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 but the problem is, is that the world's not there yet. Mm. <laughs> the, the world's not even close to there yet. And, yeah. and they're not there for reasons that you can't even blame them for, right? It's like, first of all, this Bitcoin thing is, it is super complicated, right? Yeah. I mean, the math and the, 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 the crypto and everything is. So ultimately, those who don't understand tech, they have to believe or trust others, yeah right, right, right. <laughs> so 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 what i've seen my role uh in this ecosystem has been to try and be that bridge right like right. like why on earth would i try and build a business where you know you try and interface with banks and regulators and this and that I, we could easily just be building a bitcoin only business right but we chose this path or i chose this path because we knew it was going to be hard but we also knew somebody needed to do it Right. If nobody yeah. was going to connect the banking, the traditional financial world with this new world, it, as hard as it's going to be, as you know, whether it's like the false arrests, whether it's the laying off 100 people, whether it's, oh, my God, like I've only shared like a 10 tiny bit. Like I've literally had co-founders in Canada that have passed away because of working too hard. You know, wow. like it's it's it is brutal, dude. Like it's literally like the hardest thing ever. But. I also couldn't imagine doing anything else. You know what mm. I mean? Like I, I literally, I've, I even tried, I, I tried for a little bit when things, when shit hit the fan in India with, with the whole regulatory stuff, we, I tried to, you know, move away from Bitcoin a bit, but then you get guys like Jesse, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Jesus of Bitcoin, if you ask me, right? Like guys like him literally being like, Sonny, come on board with us, you know, like keep everything you got in India. If you win, go back. Yeah. If you don't stick it out with us. Right. <laughs> right, what, right. What, what job do you want? What's your ideal role? You don't have to look at your watch. <laughs> it's like, say what? Like, are you serious? Like, this is what this community is made of. So I don't know, man. I've just been touched by so many like different people and stories. And and yeah, and now I'm just on a bit of a mission to just try and tell these stories, you know, like like of all these people that I consider to be heroes. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I then if Bitcoin is this, which we, I think we agree, it's this single and arguable global consensus, right? It's just, mm -hmm. it's truth. You can't really argue with what's on the Bitcoin blockchain once it's deep enough. Then that implies that the money we're living in, right? The, the monetary oxygen we're breathing is all false. It's a lie, right? It's, it's, there's, there's no consensus at all. We have no idea how many dollars are in circulation, how many will be in circulation, who's profiting. Um, do you think that impacts our consciousness? I mean, does that influence our character and behavior? Of course, of course. I, I think it goes back to kind of like that time and energy conversation, right? Like if you always feel like there's more time than 
money type of deal where at the end mm. of the month, you're always stressed about that. You can't help but be put into this like reactionary, mm. almost like reflexive state where you're just like an animal, right? Just trying to yeah. survive because you literally can't dig yourself out of this hole because it's like everything is stacked up against you. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I really do believe that Bitcoin is this like escape valve, this like measuring stick, this, this source of truth that allows you to, you know, if, if <laughs> I mean, you know, the crazy thing, Robert, is we're talking about like Bitcoin and you should be, you know, dollar cost averaging or saving. The crazy thing I found was like nine out of 10 families <clears throat> didn't even save. Like literally their cash flow, they don't even know what cash flow or net worth is, right? Like little things like that. Well, well how would they know? Who ever taught them, right? Yeah. So they don't even know at the end of the month, like how to balance their, wow. it's scary. It's scary. So forget, <clears throat> excuse me, forget hodling and, and that, like, I feel like there's a lot of education that needs to happen around money. Yeah. And so the fact that your kind of main, you know, text is what is money? Yeah. The quote that really resonated with me recently, I discovered it right because that is the thrust of the, what is money shows to get people to ask themselves that question such that they start to reevaluate their worldview. You know, I think it is the mm. fundamental question is once you understand the nature of money, you start to understand the nature of socioeconomic reality. But I heard this quote from, I think, H.G. Wells. He said, civilization is a race between education and catastrophe. So it feels like that's the race we're running. It's like trying to arm people say, with knowledge. Say that again. Say that again. I want Civilization I yeah. is a race between education and catastrophe. Mm, mm, so, <laughs> you know, civilization itself is the embodied treasury of knowledge, right? We are mm. learning through experimentation and we're accumulating capital. The capital insulates us from risk, you know, the risk of whatever starvation, climate, each other, whatever it may be. And that's what increases the standard of living in the world. But I don't know, people don't, that's very simple in a way it's like, okay, we need to create more stuff and be smarter basically <laughs> to survive in nature at scale. But no one talks about that. No one's, you know, we have education, but education, it's not, it's very myopic in a lot of ways, especially as it pertains to money and economics and these, you know, people don't understand cash flow or net worth. Like, come on, that's the first thing you need to understand to run a household, right? <laughs> um, I have a master's degree in accounting, by the way, so I can speak to this experience in the US. Like, they don't teach you anything about managing your personal finances. Not one thing. Let alone teach you anything about Austrian economics or central banking or the nature of money. Like, not even they don't even touch that. They don't even teach you personal finances, how to do your personal taxes. Nothing. I learned. I have a tax, a master's degree in tax. I learned how to do other people's taxes and companies' taxes and whatnot. But no one ever gave you advice like how to manage your own uh, tax and financial affairs. That's kind of a glaring uh, deficiency in the educational system. I would say. And so Bitcoin is many orders of magnitude away still from, you know, you could say like the human consciousness, right? Yeah. For, for them to really wrap their head around it because there's layers of, and I, whether it's done intentionally or unintentionally, I, I don't know, but it is systemic and it is widespread. Wow. It is global. It is, you know, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And, and like I said, I, I, I've seen it. And, you know, when you sit across from like a husband and a wife and their kids are playing in the back and you're going through their numbers and they're just like, 
dying in debt. And this is like years ago, forget the pandemic and things like that. Right. I can only imagine like how people are dealing with it now. And so there needs to be that fundamental education. And then once you educate people about what is money, which I think you do better than anyone in the world, uh, then can you. you start to open the, you know, kind of the door towards, well, how does you know Bitcoin fit in? And yeah, and and and, and really, uh, Robert, I, I think the fact that Bitcoin gets us to ask the question, like you, mm-hmm. I, I interview a lot of people, right? Not just like the Max Kaisers and the Adam Drapers, but like young people that are starting companies, this that, trying to get different views. And you'd be surprised how many young people first understand Bitcoin and then understand money. Then they yeah. evaluate the fiat system based right. through the lens of Bitcoin. Yes, it is beautiful. It is beautiful, and so. I don't know. I, I I really think that I don't know. Maybe people like me worry too much that that you know. Oh, there's all these challenges and da 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 da. da. I think I think it'll just become so glaringly obvious, you know, with the youth again picking this stuff yeah. up. That that you know, what do you get? You, you don't have to argue with me. You're gonna have to argue with your son when you get home or your That's daughter. Right. You know, it's like good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sonny, do you have a life philosophy? The first thing that comes to mind is a quote again, David Data, he's my favorite, by the way, uh, is stop waiting, feel everything, love achingly, give impeccably, let go. Mm. So if I had to pick one, stop waiting, feel everything, love achingly, give impeccably and let go. I would say those are my my five of like kind of simple yet like philosophical kind of guiding you know signposts if you will that just I try to remind myself of. That's beautiful. What, what um the one that really resonates with me there is the let go. You see, that's kind of mm. the, I did yoga for like twelve years pretty seriously, and that's kind okay. of the core teaching in a lot of ways. It's like to learn to let go mm. of things. You know, life is constantly changing and transient and things come and go. And it's just, you know, I guess non-attachment is kind of another way to say it perhaps. Um, how do you, I mean, there's a beautiful words, beautiful philosophy. How do you implement that into your life? <laughs> yeah. This is just the first thing that comes to my mind is I would say by, by it sounds corny, but by practicing presence, mm-hmm. I would say that that would be, my ultimate goal. So, so to be in the moment, so to look at the colors, to keep my breath full, to keep my posture upright, to, you know, to feel literally the moment and to give myself to this moment, you know, all of myself, not where I'm thinking 10% of my brain on what I'm going to eat, you know, the steak and then the 20% oh, an argument I got with, you know, my buddy. So how do I give myself completely to this moment? And I find like all the other things kind of just spiral out of that, whether it's like business and it's not like, you know, you don't do planning or business plans and stuff. We do all that, but it's kind of doing that by being infinitely present is I think, you know, my secret weapon, if you will, that that's kind of the, the one thing that once I learned, I was like, oh, wait, I don't need to read any books. I don't need to meditate or yoga or I don't, I mean, I can do that stuff, but I don't need to do any of that. It's like, just be present and and everything just kind of unlocks itself from there. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing. That's great. Yeah. It's beautiful in its simplicity, difficult to do actually something <laughs> I would say kind of like a moving meditation in a way where you're not mm. getting 
uh, overly attached to your thoughts and, you know, your, your mind can go anywhere and elsewhere. It's like this floating point consciousness, but to just kind of stay here and now it's really difficult to do. <laughs> um, but meditation has, has helped me with that as well. And I, I like that. I like yeah. that. And, and, you know, the let go thing too, right. It's, uh, it, I think it takes practice, but, uh, it's like, you know, when like there's a feather falling, you try and grab it, the harder you try, the more it gets away from you, but you just put your hand out and it just kind of comes to you. So I feel like that's the final piece of the manifestation piece is, yeah, you have to have to have an intention and write it down and do this and do that yeah. and plan it out and get a team. But ultimately if it doesn't happen, it's all good in the hood. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think that's the that's the icing on the cake, right? You just gotta let go. But it's but it's more than just you know a yogic practice or like a meditation session. It's about you know kind of even knowing that if things don't work out with my wife, it'll be okay. Yeah, <laughs> type right. of deal. You yeah. always it's always stoic in a way, right? Just equanimity yeah, in the face of all and that things. makes it even better, you know, and then you're like, oh, I choose this instead of, yeah. I don't know. It's like, um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm so, I feel so lucky, man, to be like, I'm telling this story a bit like robotic because I've been saying it, but I've had to kind of reflect through it. It's like, wow, I've spent the last 10 years doing what I love. Yes. It's been super painful and I'm sure I could have figured out, you know, other ways to have made way more money, but Oh, the story mm. is just so compelling and, and yeah. you know, we've done, we've done okay. Or we're definitely not struggling. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That reminds me, uh, the letting go to you of this quote that nature never rushes yet. It accomplishes all things. You know, there's just this, mm. we can apply good effort and good attitude towards the attainment of an outcome but we also have to really give a lot of room for natural processes to unfold, right? We, you know, we have to learn at our own pace. We have to grow at our own pace. The business has to evolve along this organic path to some extent. And you can't, you just can't force outcomes. Um, so I think that that's a lesson I've learned much more deeply as I've aged. I think when I was younger, I just was much more impatient, like trying to get from A to B really quick, but you have to, you have to really have, I guess, kind of a reverence for the the journey in a lot of ways. Mm, yeah. And it's also kind of funny that the scientific process applied to a business enables you to be less attached to outcomes. So if you mm. treat it literally like a grade seven science project where yeah. you're just like trying different things yeah. and, you know, and you let the market tell you if it works or not it's kind of hard to get down on yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, well, I'm doing what I love. And uh, anyways, I think, yeah, I think perspective is a big thing. And, you know, obviously if you're in this Bitcoin space, like a day is like, you know, 10 years in any other industry. So yeah. you've got to be super on top of it and, you know, and, and things happen quickly and you can get left in the dust. If it's not regulators, it's your competitors that are like, you know, swimming laps around you because you forgot, to do something that they did type of deal. And now the whole market loves them. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> but I, we don't want to support, you know, uh, non-Bitcoin assets. Oh yeah. Well, if there's a company that does a hundred shit coins with Bitcoin and you just do one, why are yeah. we going to come to you? And that was literally our major threat. You could say three or four years ago where, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we kind of, you know, again, and I wanted to bring this up because I know amongst like Bitcoiners, there's like this, obviously this, and then I can affiliate to that like kind of distaste towards other cryptocurrencies. 
Um, but you know, we kind of went through a bit of a space where we would have gone out of business if we didn't bring in other assets. Mm. Um, and it's like a really, you know, like a not cool thing to have to admit, but it's true. Like I said, yeah. you know, and we, we tried to, you know, again, to, 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 to make it so that people would be kind of, we could use that, but then gear them towards Bitcoin. But ultimately people are free to choose, right? Like, right. uh, you know, and all you can do is educate. And that's why ultimately for me, I, I, I do a daily stories, Bitcoin stories show just to let people know, like, whether you watch my show or not, just the fact that I'm every day I'm doing something about Bitcoin <laughs> means that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you know, the funny thing is all these guys in these different crypto, da, 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 they're all, all roads lead back to Bitcoin, right? So, 100%, so, yeah. so anyways, I'm, I'm getting off topic, but I don't know, Robert, what else you got for me, man? This has been so much fun. I really appreciate this. Yeah, man. No, this has been a great conversation. Um, yeah, your your spirit really comes through too. I think you're doing a great job of leaning into every moment or, or being present in every moment. I could definitely feel your um, your full, I guess, vibe or capacity. You're not just not just bringing the mind, not just bringing the heart. You're bringing the integrated whole. So I appreciate that. Um, you've mentioned a lot about how you try, it sounds like you try to make decisions through the lens of your future self, which I think is sort of a, a, a more common uh, attitude that Bitcoiners tend to adopt. We, we, we adopt a lower preference, time preference sort of naturally by having this ultimate sound store of value in a lot of ways. I think having kids also contributes to that. There's a number of things that make you think longer term. How do you see, like, do you have a vision for your life at say 80 years old? Like you're sitting back wherever you're at, what, like, what are you surrounded by? Who are you talking to? What have you accomplished? Like, I, you know, you laid out your life philosophy. Where do you see that actually, man? How do you see that manifesting, I guess, in the longer term of your it's life? It's going to sound completely ridiculous, but forever, I've always kind of felt like eventually I'm going to be building future cities. Mm. That's kind of where I'm going to be doing. Um, so that will involve either me acquiring a lot of land or doing it in conjunction with others and building free, you know, freedom loving, technology loving, risk taking, <laughs> entrepreneurial people where we all come together and we chill and, you know, and build things. You know, so the citadels. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is most likely where my future will be. And there'll be, you know, there'll be, oh, there'll be like the, the flare gas, Bitcoin mining guys taking oil early. There'll be wind turbines. There'll be solar panels. We'll have it yeah. all. Bitcoin Bitcoin will be being, and, you know, I spent eight years, 10 years traveling and meeting professors and seeing research labs and stuff. So I always had this vision of like bringing together a lot of like, you know, like universities and, and building these like, like I said, futuristic cities, right? Um, that, that's kind of where I, I think I, I even have a name. It's like, I, I think I, I hope I have the domain still, but InfoNet Energy. So like mm. the integration of information and energy, which mm. if you ask me is essentially the components of, of the universe, that that's all yeah. that exists is just energy and information and even mass that seems to be something physical is actually just energy, energy right? Yeah. Equals MC squared. So, so all of it is just, you know, just like a rearrangement of energy. Yeah. And, uh, and so I always had this vision of like, you know, like kind of, you know, building cities uh, around the world where people are working together to, to essentially further, you know, like the, like the, this whole thing we're talking about, right? Love and freedom and, and, you know, whether it's like doing yoga or, you know, building, like I said, you know, Bitcoin app or whatever, it's just like, 
you know, with its quad rotors. And this, I, mean, I can't even fly my freaking quad rotor anymore in Canada right now without becoming like a pilot, essentially. Like, what's up with that? What is that? The <laughs> like, quad what? Oh, like, you know, the DJI, DJI, like they're just like the four uh, propeller. Like, they're oh, the, the little the, drones. The, yeah, the drones ah, that, that sure. fly themselves, essentially. They're super yeah. cool. But my point is, is like, how can you, how can you tinker and how can you embrace, right. like, I, I, but you get where I'm going. I, you know, I, I'm very fast in my robotics. My wife is a mechatronics engineer. Uh, I spent eight years in robotics. I think that Bitcoin and robotics will become the next. Let's just put it this way: in ten years, robots will use Bitcoin more than than humans. Hundred percent. I'm putting my money on it. Meaning, wow. my Tesla as it as it passes yours on the highway, yeah. because yours knows my calendar and mine, it, it'll send you satoshis, not yeah, yeah, you know yeah. a wire transfer. Right. Um, and I think that, and I've been saying that since seven years ago, not since Tesla got in. But, but I do think that's going to be inevitable, especially now more so, right? Yeah. As or maybe it'll be Doge. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not that'll, anyway, be a, that'll be a wolf ride if so um, the wolf ride so yeah man so that's kind of where i see myself and yeah hopefully surrounded by bitcoiners and i don't know it's uh i'm not gonna lie this last year has been really hard um you know the the backbone of my story uh really is is, is events like i've been doing bitcoin events every three months every six months people in toronto know me for this i had a thousand people to share it a couple of years ago we were doing them all the time in india events and so i miss being around people um and you know and i'm a people person and you know i, I kind of hated it by the end of it because you know you get bored of all of it and you're just like oh it's a but now uh yeah i can't wait i can't wait to be around people again yeah, yeah, it's definitely been too long. I, I'm I'm more of an I guess I'm more of an ambivert, kind of somewhere in between introvert and extrovert. I don't really like mm. need a social setting a lot to thrive, but mm. it's been a lot of solitude. I really like solitude normally, but mm. it's been a lot the past year. So I hear you. Yeah. On. If you yeah. think so when they lay you to rest, whoever they, I guess your family, whoever is yeah. like there's this thought experiment about which is a very low time preference thing. What do you want your eulogy to sound like? Have you thought about that at all? Like what what do you want to be remembered for? What legacy do you want to leave? It, uh, okay, so up until very very recently, my standard answer was always I'm living forever. Okay, like I seriously <laughs> convinced myself that the singularity is near and that with what I know about robotics and biotechnology and nanotechnology, that it's inevitable that I will live forever. My parents, unfortunately, may not because they don't fall into that escape velocity uh, mm. trajectory curve of where uh, I think the science points. But I've met uh, Aubrey de Grey and I studied a lot of this stuff. So I still believe that there's a very, very high chance that I don't have to write my eulogy. Um, however, 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 recently, recently, I've kind of been entertaining the thought that Sonny, this, and by the way, I do think the forever thing is great because you want to talk about long time preference, try forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Like if you're that. alive forever, like, yeah, your exit strategy is never, okay, I'm going to yeah. hold on to my Bitcoin forever type of deal. Uh, so it is it is empowering. And I do encourage people to consider it because it's not your average uh, lens. And I think it's empowering. But, hmm, what would I want? I don't know if I've thought about that one deeply enough, man. Maybe, yeah. Wow, that's a hard one. It's kind of like, 
it's kind of troubling to think about because I just told you I had a friend in Toronto who's a co-founder of one of the companies here that passed away at a really young age. And so I guess even though I don't want to think about it, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I do. Um, mm. But I don't know to the extent where what they're saying about me, maybe that he was you know, smart enough to see a way forward for humanity and, uh, and courageous enough to act. <laughs> if I had to say beautiful, it. beautiful. Yeah. Intelligence plus courage equals good outcomes. Includes. Yeah. Love and freedom. There you go. <laughs> we got a formula. Beautiful. Well, Sonny, this has been an electric conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, I learned a lot. I appreciate you sharing your stories from the front lines and sharing a bit about your own personal life philosophy and views. Happy to have you on again sometime. Uh, but this yeah, was really this great. has been unlike any other interview, man. This has been a lot of fun. I was looking forward to it, but it definitely, um, yeah, it did. yeah. So it, it's been awesome, man. Anytime for sure. I'm down to come back. Uh, we can jam again. But this has been this has been awesome. Awesome, man. All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh, I guess, sorry. Tell people where they can find you. <laughs> SunnyRay.com. <laughs> That's my website. And then UnoCoin.com, PayCase.com. Those are the two other projects that, I mean, UnoCoin and PayCase are my two babies. But yeah, Sunny Ray, I, I, you know, I put everything up there. I do, like I said, I, oh my God, probably way too much, man. Probably way too much. I blog, I do a vlog, I do vodcasting, I do music, I build companies, I consult, I... I do whatever I can, whatever I have in me, I put it out there. Some of it's probably really, really terrible, like I said, but uh, <laughs> whatever, man, I don't care if people make it's fun awesome. of me. It's, 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 it's not a big deal. Well, so, it's aspirational. Yeah. I mean, for you to put it all out there, you know, it's motivating to other people in the world that are trying to figure out how to, I guess, make their way as well. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all that you have done for Bitcoin. And thank you for being a part of the mission. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to, you know, connect with other Bitcoin warriors. That's what I, I would consider you to be. <laughs> I love Thank everything you, so you do, man. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, awesome. it's just been fantastic.